Blog Talk Radio. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. It's Saturday, October the 24th, Weekend Watchdogs, Mike Silva, Joe Bono. Good morning, everybody. If you want to listen to the show live or replay, you can go to weekendwatchdogs.com. Send us a tweet at Mike Silva Media at jbono611. And uh, check us out at the Weekend Watchdogs Facebook page. And joining me on this special World Series edition of the show, Jets Pass <laughs> edition of the show, Gi- Giants Dallas. What a big what a big sports weekend here in this city. Joe, we haven't had many weekends or shows like this. We've said this a couple of times, but this should be a fun one. How are you doing? Still can't believe it, Mike. I still cannot believe the ease in which the Mets won that series against the Chicago Cubs. You know, you asked at the end of the, end of the show last week whether or not we'd be still talking about the Mets. We thought getting ready for a game six at City Field here this morning, and we all felt, yeah, I felt the, the series would go at least six games, and for it to be over on Wednesday night, and for them to come out the way they did and put up four runs in the first inning, um, exactly what they needed to do um, to make the Cub fan and the Cub players feel as if they had no hope of repeating what Theo Epstein and the Red Sox did to the Yankees in 2004, and they did it. I still can't believe the ease in which the Mets won that series. And I think Joe Madden, or was either Theo Epstein or Joe Madden, said that the Mets never let the Cubs up to breathe. And that's appropriate. I mean, they jumped on them with Daniel Murphy's home run in game one in the first inning. Uh, the pitching stymied them in a cold, and you were out, I believe, about both games last weekend, a very cold and chilly city field. Uh, when they got into what I, I laughed because everything, everything, all well, the narrative was, well, it's going to be balmy in Chicago. Who would have put October in Chicago as balmy? You know, 70 degrees, and you think, oh, no, first inning. Kyle Schwaber hits a little uh, wiffle ball home run there in the bleachers in Wrigley Field, and uh, you kept hearing the narrative about the you know the winds blowing out and it's going to be a high scoring game. Mets pitchers dominated. Uh, you know, give Terry Collins uh, credit; he went to the right moves at the right time. I didn't agree with all of them. I think they could have gotten dicey. You know, namely uh, Tyler Clippard there, even with an eight one lead, that was the sweatiest eight one lead maybe Mets fans <laughs> ever had, and then they. Uh, they they wrap it up in four games, and now they go on uh, to face the Kansas City Royals. But the thing about this, and I said this um, uh, basically um, uh, last week, but um, you know what? Nothing. All the negativity really doesn't matter now. The fact that um, you know that that the Matt Harvey controversy doesn't matter anymore. Maybe some of the 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 you know times where the people wanted to talk about the finances and Madoff doesn't matter anymore. The fact that maybe the Mets right now, the bullpen isn't really the greatest, that doesn't matter anymore. It's just about getting the four wins. All the other stuff doesn't matter anymore. It's about this short series, it's about getting the four wins, it's about going out there and becoming world champions. And, uh, you know, we've seen this before. We've heard the stats about teams that, uh, you know, they sweep series and they have the long layoff. We saw how the Mets ended the, uh, the playoff, the, the NLCS in five against the Cardinals and faced the Yankees and how that went. But this team seems like it's getting hot at the right time. It seems it's focused. Um, they seem that they're prepared and ready to take that next leap. They've gone from the innocent climb to maybe the breakthrough all at once. It's never going to get better than this, though, Joe. This is maybe they'll win. Maybe they won't win this year. Maybe they'll win in next, you know, next year, the year after. But I think that whole process 
the innocence of it, the excitement, uh, the surprise, I don't think it'll get better than this for this group than it is now. That's no, my it opinion won't. anyway. It won't. This will be a special group and a special time for Mets fans because, like you said, the difference in emotions and the difference of how this team is perceived throughout the course of the year from here we go again to they make a move to they're in first place, or can they avoid a collapse to the point where they extended the lead to seven, eight, nine games against the Nationals. You knew they were going to the playoffs. You felt like, hey, this is a series they can win against the Dodgers, but you know anything would be gravy beyond the first, the first series to a team and a fan base right now, Mike, which is a little bit arrogant, a little bit confident. Um, obviously, the Cup Series gave them a lot of reason to be, but you went from feeling like this is same old Mets to a swagger that we should win the World Series against the AL's best team all year long, against a team that was in the World Series last year, that it's come to the point where Mets fans expect to win the series, despite the fact that they're playing a very formidable opponent who answered every challenge the Toronto Blue Jays threw at them during that six-game series. But, you know, this Mets Cup Series, Mike, I mean, there were a lot of hard-hit balls that found Mets gloves throughout the course of the series. Starling Castro into David Wright's glove. I remember Schwarber almost taking off Matt Harvey's head. You know, Flores was positioned perfectly. So, obviously, there were things that broke the Mets' way. But the play in game three with the Flores bloop single and the ball gets lost in the ivy, and Conforto, who's running on the pitch, that was the moment where Mets fans and people that follow the Mets and all the beat riders were like, no way this 3-2 lead holds after a play like that. And you know what? It did. And not only did the 3-2 lead hold, they extended the lead. And that's kind of the different mentality, and it's new and it's different for Mets fans. How many times, whether it's a Terry Collins move in the Dodger series or this Cubs series, you said, Mm, this is the moment right here where something's going to go wrong, and it didn't go wrong. Whether it would be Syndergaard come, not coming out to pitch the eighth inning in L.A. and going to Familia in the six-out safe. And, Mike, it's not even dicey. There's not even a question about it. These moves just don't work. They work perfectly. They work without there being a little bit of sweat involved. So it's just very strange right now for the Mets fan to be going through this. And I'll even say the reaction after they – won the uh, the pennant. It was a little different than the division and then the Dodgers series. Even for me, and I think it had to do with the delayed strike three call. I'm not saying there wasn't joy. I know the fans were into it, but I think a lot of the fans said they were very they were very pumped about the division. They really were pumped about getting out of L.A. Maybe this was just fate complete. Maybe this was just like waiting for that final final out. I did get nervous when Cespedes they panned him in the dugout before the last out. And he had the goggles on, and he had the shirt on. <laughs> and nobody's talking about that. Now, the good news with that is that you basically say, okay, um, maybe his shoulder's not as bad as everybody thinks because if he's out there ready to clown around. And he's got a little Manny Ramirez in him, Cespedes. Don't you think? I mean, not, I'm not comparing them as players. Although, you know, he's got certainly the same power as Manny. You know, Manny Ramirez is a better hitter. But he's got that carefree, maybe not to the degree of Manny Ramirez, but he has that little Manny being Manny type of thing. Uh, you know, here he is. He's playing golf in the morning, you know, before the game, which, you know, even Bobby Hita said on WFAN is not the biggest deal in the world. Uh, but when I saw that, I said, you know, if something bad happens here, and that, you know, even if they have to go to a game five and win and sweat this thing out another night, that whole thing would be bad. 
that would be like in the mm-hmm. you know that would be the that would be worse than congratulations Red Sox on the uh, the scoreboard. I mean even even you had uh, during the Met Cub game game four Cespedes leaves and you know I actually read earlier in the day that he does play golf he was playing Medina golf course earlier in that day he does it all the time so I actually read that before the game but then the reports started coming out that uh, his shoulder hurts and he was at a golf course and you're going oh my God please tell me no. As a method, are you kidding me? Our power hitter is going to be out for the World Series because he was playing golf before game four of the NLCS. But you know what? He was doing push-ups. It's a little bit of a shoulder joint thing. He's going to be fine. So just another thing where your mind automatically, as a Mets fan, goes into the negative, and it turns out just to be okay. So they got to get this going, though, for four more wins. Like you said, Mike, yeah, the season is success. Yeah, they'll build momentum from this year, regardless of what happens in the series but you don't know when you're going to get back. You just don't yeah, know. The chips are the I know it wasn't the World the Series. Who would have imagined the 2006 Mets and that core of players never got back to the playoffs? So you got to win when you get here. You know, and, ask people and, that are New Jersey Nets fans. Ask people that are New York Ranger fans. Ask, you know, ask people about getting to the finals and not winning. The Giants, look how different Eli and Coughlin's are if they lose those two Super Bowls as appearing to winning those two Super Bowls, it makes all the difference in the world. All the difference in Absolutely. the world. They got to win. And I was glad. I was reading Joel Sherman's column in the New York Post this morning, and Sandy Alderson talked about it in the piece how it wasn't just about in a vacuum making the Cespedes trade, because in a vacuum, you're giving up Michael Fulmer, who could be, you know, another one of these guys. Uh, who knows? But he certainly has a lot of potential. And uh, in a vacuum, that's a tough trade to make for a rental like Cespedes. It's, it's going to be a tricky decision at the end of the year uh, whether to sign him or not. It, some say it's obvious. It's not. Uh, you know, you've seen the good and the bad here of Cespedes. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's Babe Ruth, even not Daniel Murphy. Um, but Sandy knew that this was as much about extinguishing the stench of what was hanging over the franchise. And when I said before those things don't matter anymore, I think win or lose at this point, You've moved past the 06, 07, 08 disappointment. The 06 disappointment, the 07 collapse. Joe, that was hanging over this franchise for so long. For so long, I think it was an anvil. And even though guys like, um, you know, DeGrom and Harvey and, and Matt, you know, other than David Wright, nobody was there for that. You have to understand that the fans were all there for that and the negativity. I mean, this was by far. Uh, a mausoleum this building. And you were at the first two games, and I think it's been an awesome home field advantage. I think it'll be an awesome home field advantage at, uh, uh, you know, for 3-4, and, and, and hopefully, you know, if, if, if it's not necessary, hopefully it's not necessary because it's a, a positive for the Mets game five in the World Series. You could move past all that. It's almost like the trade for Cespedes, although we don't know what's going to transpire, whether he comes back or not, it almost was like the, uh, the stench was removed. It was like, uh, you know, spraying the bathroom. You know, when it smells, you sprayed away from that. From that, they that uh, they Febreze. They Febreze the mess. They Febreze. They Febreze. And it, and I know it's a cliche, <laughs> and I understand that people are going to say there's no data and logic, but you needed to move away from that. It was so hard. I mean, Joe, for for so long, whether it was you and I doing this show or or before that, it was all about what they didn't do and about how they couldn't win and how they couldn't spend and about debating the philosophy. Um, and they've been fortunate. You've got to also think about it, Joe. Two things happened that this is not possible for two guys that are, are not going to be part of this 
But if Carlos Beltran doesn't come back and have a, a bounce-back season 11, they don't get Zach Wheeler. Now, Zach Wheeler is not part of this, but, you know, that's the first step towards building this thing. And if R.A. Dickey doesn't have a Cy Young season, two pieces, um, two important pieces aren't here today, and they're not, they're not in the position they're in right now. So it's not just R.A. Dickey being on the Mets. It's not just R.A. Dickey uh, being signed and found by Omar Minaya. It's those important pieces. He, he had to win 20 games. He had to be the Cy Young in order for that deal. And the Toronto Blue Jays had to feel that they were in a position to compete and win an AL East title, which they did when they made that deal. They weren't going to wait for a you know, fireballer in single A like Syndergaard to come up. I mean, this is 2012. Syndergaard making his debut three years later. Um, and obviously they had catchers in the system um, ahead of Darno as well. Now, they ended up going, <laughs> going a different route soon after that and brought in Russell Martin, but a lot of factors had to play perfectly for that Darno and Syndergaard trade to happen. Um, and listen, you're right. The Mets, after the Flores debacle with the trade to the Brewers and the Gomez and pulling out of it because of the hip, and was Wheeler going to go in the deal? Is that too much to pay for either a rental or a player that has one year left on his contract? They had a choice on July 31st of whether or not they were going to say, well, let's just see what happens with the group we have, or do we really make a move? Remember, they were three games behind the Nationals when they made that move um, on July 31st, that Friday night. And it paid off immediately. They swept that series and really never looked back after that. And I can't recall in sports, at least New York sports, where the light switch got flipped that that soon, that right away, because that was the impact that it had on everybody um, from July 31st on uh, for this Mets team. Now, listen, you're right. All this stuff doesn't matter. But I, as a Mets fan and others, you know, when you're watching the Wolpons in that postgame celebration and Jeff's trying to, you know, get the cork out of the massive bottle of champagne to celebrate, you're already starting to think about next year a little bit. And you're starting to think about uh, what are they going to do with Espinosa and what are they going to do with Daniel Murphy? Because what he's doing is, I mean, I'm talking about jumping out of your seat the last few nights when he's hit these home runs for me, watching these games at home, because you can't believe it. Like, he did it again. He did it again. Now, um, it's gone from they're going to let him walk to the Mets are going to extend him this qualifying offer. And you know what? At the end of the day, if you get a first-round pick for Daniel Murphy um, or he, he agrees to a one-year deal, then, wow, this was really worth it from a Mets standpoint. And Cespedes, we, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But we've talked about it at length that if you look at the way the Mets – position players are out there right now. Uh, there aren't too many other places where you can bring in an impact bat like a Cespedes. Um, so all that's on the back of everyone's mind, but it is in the mind of Mets fans. But at the same time, enjoy this next week. Enjoy Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then we'll see whether or not we have other games on Tuesday and Wednesday and the series goes along. You know, as a baseball fan, you would love a short series, but at the same time, I really enjoyed dominating <laughs> uh, the Cubs in four games. It was a very rare, odd experience to be part of, um, to be kind of the, um, I don't know, the lead dog in the race. Uh, we'll see. I don't expect that to be the case with the Royals, Mike. This team presents very different types of challenges that the Cubs and or Blue Jays would have faced the Mets because of the way they play offense, the way they put the ball in play, the way they have their speed and their defense, and their bullpen is very different than the Cubs and would have been very different than the Blue Jays. 
yeah, the, the Royals do present uh, a bunch of uh, challenges, and uh, we will uh, we will have Seth Everett, our buddy Seth Everett, uh, NBC Sports Radio. I know he does a bunch of stuff on social media, joining us later this hour. Uh, originally, we were going to have Seth Walder at 11. Seth, uh, unfortunately, last minute had to make a change, um, so we won't have Seth Walder, but we'll still talk Jets-Patriots in the 11 o'clock hour. Uh, big game for the Jets and Patriots, so stay with us. We will get to football. But again, as it has been most weeks, this has been a baseball-centric show, as well it should be because, you know, that's the big news right now. And, and you're right, Joe, you know, it's funny hearing Mets fans worry about 16 and 17. You don't. You want to stay in the moment. And you hope, and this is where Terry Collins, um, where it's actually his strength, uh, you know, keeping this team focused, keeping this team going forward. You know, the Jimmy Kimmel stuff last night was pretty cool, although it's really Jimmy Kimmel talking and people just listening. I mean, Stern dominated Jimmy Kimmel's conversation before the Mets. The Mets come on, there's four Mets, and uh, Jimmy Kimmel just basically talked to them about his pitch. The whole time. <laughs> I mean, his game. I know, and some people, some people were like, "Are you concerned about the Mets doing all these things?" Jimmy Kimmel's show. Matt Harvey's at the Ranger game. I was at the Islander game yesterday. I'm standing outside Barclays Center waiting for someone, and Stephen Matz rolls in by himself with his flannel shirt and jeans, wearing a backwards hat like every other kid coming off the LIRR. Only difference is he's about six foot four, and he kind of knew it was him. And then Murphy was there, and Wright was there, and. Uh, Clifford was there, and Kelly Johnson was there, and Neuenheis was there. I mean, they could have pretty much had a team meeting at the Islander game. And are you concerned about this? And the answer is no. And the answer is no because I recall as a Giants fan for football that after the Giants won in 2007 and 2011 the NFC title game, you know, Lawrence Tynes and Manning, they went on all these shows. I mean, the Knicks were at the Garden every night for Rangers or Knicks, and you got R.W. McWhorters at, you know, center court taking bows, all before the Super Bowl is going to get played. You know what? There was enough time to get back focused and concentrate on the opponent. And the same situation here with the Mets. You know, they had a voluntary work day at City Field on Friday. A lot of guys didn't go. They took the extra day off, spent some time with the family, do some fun stuff. But now it's back down to business starting today on Saturday, and they have three days to get ready, get in Kansas City on Monday, and away we go with the World Series on Tuesday night. I cannot believe it. I watched the last couple innings of the game last night, and all, all truthful, I've been watching the ALCS from afar, first being engrossed uh, uh, with the National League for obvious reasons. And I'll oh, tell games you are at 4 you know, o'clock, too. Yeah, I mean, a couple games are at 4 o'clock. Games are at 4 o'clock, too. But here's the other thing, Joe. You know, you really, these have been some, you know, the Dodgers series was rough because of the late nights. Uh, these postseason games, even in the best case scenario, with an eight o'clock start, don't don't end till eleven thirty. Then you have the the post game paraphernalia and, and celebration that you have to go through after game four. You're tired, man. You're up till one one thirty in the morning every night. You have you, you need whether you're doing a radio show, whether you're a fan, you need a break. You need to unwind, and that's the good part. Now you have a weekend that you can enjoy. You know, take a step back. Enjoy the fall weather. I'm sure you'll do some kind of wine and cheese situation or scenario no. this weekend. No, I'm going to, uh, a, going to a concert tonight, but well, but you're doing something outside. You know, just like the players, I think you're right. The players need to step away. I thought it was pretty cool that they went to the Barclays Center. It's interesting that they went to the Barclays Center as a unit, as a team, and then the Garden. And uh, maybe they don't have really have the I mean, Matt Harvey was at the Garden by himself, right? So. They didn't have the opportunity to go to the Garden. I don't know if it was because the Rangers didn't want to invite them or what have you, or Matt Harvey decided to do something rogue on his own. Um, but that's pretty cool. And you could see one of the things that was mentioned, and I think it might have been Flores that talked about it, is how close this team is. And that's a cliche because you could be the closest 25 guys out there, 
And if you have bad bullpen and you have bad closer and you don't execute, you're not going to win. But I generally think that they're enjoying the ride, these guys. And, um, you know, hopefully that leads to a championship. And then, yeah, I think there will be some discussion and some talk about, you know, can you keep this team for the most part together? And there will be some tough decisions that have to be made. Um, it may come down to do you pay Daniel Murphy or do you pay Uena Cespedes? You may have to. And that's not going to be an easy situation. Do you let one go? And that'll be a debate for another day. Um, but when I was watching, I was debating throughout the first, the last couple of days, you know, what would be a better opponent for the Mets, Toronto or Kansas City? And I was completely torn. I know some people have been talking about metrics and how the Royals hit fastballs better than the Blue Jays. I think the Royals are a better matchup. Yes, they were in the World Series last year. Yes, they're a gritty team. They're a dangerous team. They're a comeback team. Um, they're not a team that I think the Cubs showed you they're more of a slow-pitch softball-type hitting team. All they want to do is hit home runs. Kansas City's not going to try to do that. Kansas City's going to try to manufacture. They can't hit they the got, ball out of the ballpark, though. They do have guys that can hit the ball out of the ballpark. You know, they have a bunch of guys that are going like to have 18 to 20 home run. Kendry Morales had a great season for them. You're going to have a much shorter game. You're going to have to win those first six innings because if you don't win the six innings, then you've got a problem there in the back end of the bullpen. Wade Davis converted starter. Uh, you know, you Herrera. told the jury's familiar how great he is, and I know our buddy Rich Catino, he said he wouldn't want any closer other than familiar on the mound, and maybe he's right. Uh, but Wade Davis with an ERA of like less than one. I mean, if you look at his Kansas City numbers last couple of years, first and setup man, now as a closer with Greg Holland out, I mean, these are, these are nasty numbers. So you've got a number of challenges ahead of you here with this situation, with the Mets. Um, I don't know, Joe, do you agree? Toronto would have posed a challenge with the power and Joey Bats and Josh Donaldson, and you know maybe their bullpen isn't that great, but they still had David Price in the rotation, and you know R.A. Dickey would have been wanting to shove it to his old team. Um, I think the Royals are the better scenario, despite the fact that there's a lot of danger with this particular unit. And playing these guys, this will be the best team I think they play. It's odd, you know. I felt the same way, and it and it makes sense on some levels because of the name recognition and the power bats that Toronto has, and the way they can ruck a game real quickly. And they had some advanced stats about uh, balls against 95 mile an hour fastballs. And the Cubs, you know, that stat going into the series really proved true that the Cubs were one of the worst teams in the league against pitchers over 95 miles an hour, and they really struggled with the Mets' power arms. Um, on the flip side, the Toronto Blue Jays had some of the best numbers in the major leagues against those type of pitching. And we remember what happened to the Mets when they went to Toronto um, in those two games. They played four consecutive games, won two tight games at City Field, and got blown out in both blown games in Toronto. Toronto. So it was more of a fear factor, I think, with the Blue Jays. But at the same time, this Royal team, like you said, it poses different types of challenges. And in a lot of ways, it's similar to the Dodger series where – you know, they have some guys, pitchers, not their starting rotation, but the bullpen that you have to be very concerned about. That, like you said, it's a six-inning game. If they could turn the ball over to Herrera and then Davis, I mean, your best bet might be Matson, who's still a very quality pitcher despite giving up the two-run home run against Bautista last night. Um, can the Met bats, which were hot in Chicago, stay hot against the Kansas City starters? That, to me, is where the series is going to be won. Whether or not Duda and what he did in game four can carry over, whether or not Darno could continue to get big hits, can Murphy be something similar to what he's been over the first seven, eight, first um, nine games right. of the playoffs? That'd be amazing if he can. So if the Met offense can stay hot against the Royals, like they did in Chicago, 
I think they win that six-in battle, and you minimize the factor of Davis, Herrera, Madsen, and that Kansas City bullpen. All right, let's take a quick break. When we return, our buddy Seth Everett, NBC Sports. Uh, you can check him out on various social media platforms. will be joining us. He uh, covered the Mets. He was with the Mets throughout last year. So he saw these guys grow up, and I'm sure he's happy to see some of the guys that he covered uh, during his season, uh, on, you know, essentially on a Mets beat there with WOR, uh, finally kind of earned their due here. So you're listening to the Weekend Watchdog, Mike Silva, Joe Bono, taking you all the way up to noon. Send us a tweet at Mike Silva Media at jbono611. Give us a call, 646-716-8187, and listen to the show live or replay at weekendwatchdog.com. We'll be right back. It could happen to a better organization. Um, I mean, this, they pre, we, 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 we talked about being patient. The ownership was patient. Sandy was patient. Uh, and, and hopefully everybody enjoys this for a while. People say a lot of things, and, you know, for the last thing, last thing I ever want to do is not be out there with these teammates. Um, you know, I've done everything, everything I can to, to stay healthy, to be here with these guys. And uh, this is pretty surreal. It's unbelievable. To be able to do this with this group of guys, I mean, just uh, a phenomenal feeling and uh, something that I can't be more proud. I mean, to be able to be a part of this, this organization, be able to do this for these fans, uh, for the city of New York, for this organization, just uh, unbelievable, unbelievable. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. All right, we're back. Mike Silva, Joe Bono, always love the Mets. Happy recap post-game music. And joining us, uh, you can check him out as a contributor for Sports Blog Media, at Sports Blog, a baseball insider host on NBC Sports Radio. Follow him on Twitter, at Seth underscore Everett. You remember him for his work on WOR last year, covering the Mets. Seth, Mike, and Joe, how you doing, my friend? How you been, my friend? Last time Can't I was complain? doing this in a parking lot of a Target. I know. And the last time we were <laughs> doing this, I wanted to... Where are you today, actually, by the way? Are you no, today I'm or, home, uh, and I have the you... home studio. I do not understand why I'm doing this on the phone. I didn't realize it. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I could talk to your producer. Wait, no, your producer's on the air. Hmm. Yeah, mm. we're, we're doing it the, uh, the very cost-conscious... <laughs> Live conscious talk radio right way. And, and look, Seth, we'll start off with this. Last time you were in a Target parking lot, last time I wanted to fire Sandy Alderson, I wanted to fire Terry Collins. This team is yeah. going nowhere. How can we change the right yeah. uh, with the spinal stenosis? Um, how the how things have changed? And uh, look, there's a little lot of luck involved with this stuff, but that's part well, of, the, of the process. A lot of luck, but the design was to get to the World Series, and you were with a lot of these guys. I'm sure you feel good for these guys, and you got to admit they've built something here. Um, these guys believe, and it's not just, a, 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 you know, we can do it, you know, yay team believe. This team is good, and they believe they're good, and I think they're going to go out there and they're going to win this thing. I give them a lot of credit. Uh, the people I'm happy for, uh, let's see, Terry Collins, uh, who is a dear friend, Sandy Alderson, who I've known for 15 years, uh, David Wright, who I met during his rookie season, uh, Jairus Familia, my, my buddy, <laughs> Uh, Travis Darnot is a great guy. Um, there's there's some great people there. You know the PR staff and and Shannon and and, and Jay and all those guys and um, you know obviously Madge and Howie and and Josh. I'm thrilled for them. 
Uh, Wayne's a good luck charm, apparently. That's fine. <laughs> I, I said to him, I said, that's <laughs> going to be a lot of pressure to own up to, but uh, we had a good laugh about that. It was very strange. I, I did say that I wasn't going to City Field this year. That was my plan. NBC calls and says, if the Nationals, Orioles, Mets, or Yankees uh, go to the postseason, we credentialed you. You do not say no to credentials. I mean, that's that's kind of basic, you know, sports etiquette. And <laughs> here I was, game three of the NLDS against the Dodgers, and there I was sitting at City Field. And there were three people I was trying to avoid. The ballpark has 48,000 people. Three people I was trying to avoid. Within the first four minutes, I saw two of them. It, it was un- <laughs> it was uncanny. Well, we... But the, the the greetings that I got from people you never hear about, you know, security guys. Um, People ran up and hugged me. I mean, it was it was so nice because I I'm a genuine person and I develop genuine friendships. Uh, that was really really cool. So from a personal standpoint, I'm happy to do that. I will go to two of the games um, uh, for the World Series. But as I told NBC, I'll tell you the same thing. I am not missing my daughter's trick or treating to see to go to City Field, the place I was avoiding all season long. So no, and you, I, can, you can do what you got to do from home. I mean, look. Let's face it. Yeah, you need to be at the ballpark, and you get a lot of access by traveling with the right. team and learning about it. But for what you're looking to do to talk about the World Series, I think missing Game Four and going to your daughter's trick or treating. Trick or treating. That you that, could do your job. Right. You could right. Do your job, and it was you know very funny. You know, the media has changed in so much. And Mike, I thought about this. I thought of you. The media has changed. People have been asking me. I, I got texts from friends. I don't want to give out names because I'm not trying to, you know, un- unfurl anything. But. People were saying, hey, can you cover my ex? I think I'm traveling, you know, to Kansas City. At, at the time, we didn't know if it was Kansas City or Toronto. And I said, sure. In this day and age, if you are not in TV, you're not traveling. There's no need. The media is such where everything can be done from remote studios. The power of being there, the idea of the auxiliary press box. I do think there's a podcast growing about it because – I do think that there's something about the idea that everyone's trying to do stuff on the cheap. And it is uncanny how much you will see people are either in Kansas City if it's sponsored, and they're not in Kansas City if it's not. Joe Bono, Mike Silva, Weekend Watchdogs with our pal Seth Everett. Just one more thing on the good luck charm being Waiter and Dazzle. Remember, it was Chris Cotter at SNY and years of Kevin Burkhardt. And then yep. Steve Gelbs. So oh, I've talked to all of them. I, yeah. Kevin Burkhart's the nicest guy ever, but... Um, I thought I was the nicest guy ever. <laughs> might be something there, too. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to get your thoughts on Daniel Murphy, because obviously since Gary Cohen's <sighs> comments on WFAN, it's been a hot topic because he hasn't stopped since, and it's been uh, one of the best, if not the best, and most unlikely performance maybe in sports history I've ever witnessed over this kind of a stretch. Um, what is your opinion on the Mets' plan? What was your thoughts before the postseason? All right, and let's, have your thoughts let's, on Murphy change at all? Let, let, let's, um, let's call it what it is. Gary Cohen was not saying anything that even raised my eyebrow. I knew all of that. Um, I have been very diplomatic about Daniel Murphy when I worked there uh, and when I didn't. He was easily my least favorite player on that organization. That was before this season, and there were some things this season. It's not difficult with the media. No, it's not difficult. That's not the case. The case is disingenuous. 
it's it's phony. It's Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's 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 just it's it's an ability. I, I learned a long time about Alex. This is something that somebody had told me. A player had told me who's not in the game anymore. And he said, Alex Rodriguez talks through you, never to you. I could never get a straight answer out of Daniel Murphy. I was never anything but respectful to him. And the questions I asked were not really hard questions. I was working for the team, for God's sakes. And I found him to be, just like I said, I thought he was a fraud. Uh, Here's my opinion. I am not attributing this to anybody but myself, and this is just my opinion. I think he uses religion when it's convenient. And I and I have trouble respecting that. I respect his religion, but I don't like it when it's played as a card. I I, I don't like that. I don't respect that. Um, I found, you know, and knowing what I know, this is to Gary's comments, and I, I read about them. I didn't hear them live. I, I'm a podcast addict now. I don't listen to the radio anymore. And what I found was, you know, him running without a green light, I saw that. Um, he would run them out of innings when they had no offense. He was a slap hitter, but he was never a situational hitter. He would never get the ball to the right side of the field when he needed to. He would just do whatever it took to get a, a base hit. That's, in baseball terms, a selfish player. And if you watch Daniel Murphy in the playoffs, I don't even know what he looks like. It doesn't re- re- resemble him in the, in the slightest. That being said, the pitch he hit, the home run he hit off Arietta. I just use this as the example. I would tell Jake Arietta, this is game two of the National League Championship Series. I would tell Jake Arietta, throw that exact pitch 99 more times. He is going to ground that out to second base. It's as if he knew it was coming. I said, I made a joke, if I was friends with Daniel Murphy, and I'm not, but if I would tell him to go to Atlantic City, go Bet on everything. You know what's going to happen. You have this this innate power. That's where this is coming from because his baseball instincts are not telling him to do this. Then there was March, and this is when I spoke out publicly. I actually did a podcast. This was before I got hooked on with the fine folks at uh, at Blog Talk Radio. Um, I am tempted to repost this podcast. I'll tell you what happened. The incident took place in spring training. There was MLB has hired a man by the name of Billy Bean, a former uh, ball player, not the general manager of the A's who they made a bad movie about. Um, Billy Bean is openly gay. And he was not openly gay. He was always gay, but he was not openly gay when he played Major League Baseball. Sandy Alderson, one of the most forward-thinking human beings in the game, invited Billy Bean to spend a day with the Mets, put on a uniform, get a locker, do infield drills, do hitting, you know, batting practice, whatever it was, spend the day there, address the team, talk to the team privately. If, you, if any players want to call you out, have any questions for you, if any player has anything to say, here is an open platform handed out on a silver platter. Well, what do the New York media do? And they have a day, and it's spring training. There's nothing to report. They go to any player that will talk. And Daniel Murphy talked. Daniel Murphy then proceeded to say how much he appreciated Mr. Bean's arrival and how nice it was to be able to work with such a professional. But he then went on a diatribe about his anti-homosexual stance and, in essence, inferred that he thinks Billy Bean's going to hell. 
And when that happened, I said, this is a player who abused his athletic standing to get a viewpoint. This became Tim Tebow to me. And at that stage, when that happened, I wanted to scream. I'm a straight man. I'm a happily married man. I have a lovely family. This is not personal for me. I was offended. And when it happened, I wanted to do a podcast about it. There are two openly gay, uh, homos- openly gay uh, sportscasters in the New York area. Uh, Jared Max, who's now with Fox News Radio, and Jason Page of NBC Sports Radio. This is before I hooked on with NBC. I reached out to him because, to me, if it's just Seth Everett, the former Mets employee, screaming about Daniel Murphy, I sound like an employee with sour grapes. I left on my own accord. I have no sour grapes. The difference here, and what I found as a result of this story, I needed someone to give it gravitas. Jason was more than willing to do it. He just happened to call back first. They both were willing to do it. I was anxious to get it done, and I did it with Jason. I cannot tell you how tempted I am to repost that podcast. I think if you're going to tell the story of Daniel Murphy, tell it completely. And so when Gary Cohen makes his comments on WFAN, and I'm sorry it's a long-winded answer, when Gary Cohen makes those comments on WFAN, not any of it raised my Leonard Nimoy eyebrow. It was well, not Steph, even not, remotely. Not it was re- this could be the panda. Like, from a baseball point of view, this could be the, the equivalent of giving the panda a big contract. I criticized that last year. Now, I will say this. I'm not disagreeing that Murphy used bad judgment. You know, anytime you get religion, politics involved in the sports forum, you're going down a slippery slope. To be fair, when Sandy Olson brought Billy Bean to camp, he invited that problem to create. And that was my point at the time. And, and now, you know, look, you know, you probably no, want you, to ha- I, How else can you grow as a sport without doing something like that? Daniel Murphy's entitled to his opinions. Keep them to right. himself. Well, That's what I, I wasn't is, mad at Daniel sides. Murphy for thinking it. He can have his, you know, blank backwards beliefs. That's fine with him. But don't use your the point is, if Daniel Murphy came out in support of it, people wouldn't be upset with him giving that opinion. And that's the no, problem. If he, You're said, have... if he says the first part, if he says it was nice to deal with uh, Billy Bean, blah, 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 blah. If he says those things and then leaves it alone, no one, no one t- takes it. And, you know, my friend Christy Ackert with the New York Daily News has to now write a, an article about Daniel Murphy's anti-gay stance. I, I think in now 2015 we have to move past that. Does, does, that, does Daniel Murphy and how he is, um, and put the baseball and the concerns they have the baseball side, um, mm-hmm. does that affect him in being a part of this team? It doesn't seem like it. I don't know. I'm not around the team to know. They wanted they to non-tender like him. him. They wanted to non-tender him. Uh, they wanted to trade him. They would have traded him if they had the chance. If Wright didn't get hurt and he could have played, and he played third for an extended period of time, or if Dilson Herrera had shown he was ready, if any one of those characteristics happened, Daniel Murphy's not on the mat. And look, um, Steph, I had heard they wanted to get rid of him three years ago because he wasn't hitting up for enough power. I mean, that, they've been they've been trying to get rid of this guy for for years, and this but, but be, because he's not likable, but because he's well, not, not likable, and he's not I've teachable. So he the though, theory he is, though, Seth, he's getting an opportunity now for people who are not following the Mets. And you're right. I, I like the Alex Rodriguez um, 
comparison here. Analogy. Because the way he takes oh, every A-Rod single question. On, on yesterday. Well, he takes A-Rod every single and, and so is Pete Rose. <laughs> but he takes every single question and he deflects it to his teammates, how great it was, recaps the game. And it sounds perfect. It sounds orchestrated. And like you said, maybe very much insincere. Um, let's let's kind of move on and talk about the series that awaits us now. Because I think Met fans had a couple days set to go back and forth and say, do I want to face the Blue Jays? Do I want to face the Royals? And I think most Met fans were worried about Toronto. But this Kansas City Royal team poses different types of challenges, particularly the way they put the ball in play, their speed, and their bullpen. What's your thoughts on the series Mets-Royals starting on Tuesday? Uh, you know, it's funny. They don't have the dominant starting pitching, but they have this tenacious offense that is going to be much uh, more of a challenge for the Met pitchers. Um, I think we have to agree on one thing. As much as I'm not taking the credit away from the Mets, I was I was hugely disappointed in the lack of fight from the Cubs, um, especially Game 3. I think Game 3 was the defining moment of the series. They're 2-2. I'm not taking anything away from DeGrom. He was great. He was hittable. And a better lineup hits him. And that thought process going into Game 3 was DeGrom – you know, survived game five because the Dodgers hitters weren't superb. The Cubs hitters are superb, and they forgot how to play. And then in the defense, after the play in the outfield, which could have led to the Mets' fourth run, uh, you know, the ball gets caught in the ivy, all of a sudden that's a break. That's a home field advantage. And what happens the next inning? Two run, three run, just it's the, the, the Cubs – handed the Mets the victory on a silver platter. And by then, their the approach, series is 3-0. Their approach stunk, Seth. I mean, they, they it was, were... It was horrible. The Royals will not have that defensive. approach. That's, that's the argument. The Royals right. will not... I, I, I'll say the same thing about the Royals that I said about the Cubs. If the Royals play their game, the Mets have their challenge. My argument about the Mets, and I have said this a lot, um, and it, it, it's not meant to be anything but objective. It's I want to see the Mets playing a team that's great and for them to come on ahead. That would be ideal. But that's not what we're seeing. What we saw was the Nationals hand them the division. What we saw was the, the bottom feeders of the National League roll over uh, if, if in front of the New York Mets. They get to the series, and the Dodgers were a shell of themselves. The, uh, the, the Cubs, the same thing. What will the Royals do? If the Royals are the team that fought a juggernaut, I, I don't know how much of the game you saw last night. That's what, those were two heavyweights last night. The Blue Jays-Royals uh, game was two absolute heavyweights. Wade Davis was lost in that inning when the runner gets on third base, and it was the bottom of the order and the top of the Blue Jays' orders coming up. These are guys that had Josh Donaldson's an MVP candidate. Jose Batista had been a hero in the postseason. There's no way that game could not have got. That was a great nail-biting, I don't care who you're rooting for moment in Major League Baseball. Probably game six next to the game four of the Astros-Royals were the two best games of the postseason. Given that fact, the Royals never say quit. There's so much fight in them, and one through nine, they can hurt you. The Mets are going to face a challenge that they hadn't faced before. Joining us is uh, Seth Everett. You can check him out on uh, Twitter at Seth underscore Everett uh, on NBC Sports Radio, a contributor for, at uh, Sports Blog Media Group. Uh, how would you line up the rotation, Seth? Did you do Harvey game one, DeGrom game one, 
Uh, how do you feel the Mets can line this up where uh, they can overcome this challenge? They can give themselves the best shot to win because it's going to come down. I think you're uh, you got to win the first six innings, and the only way you're going to win those first six innings in Kansas City is with the right starting pitcher and uh, bringing you to that sixth inning, and, and then hopefully the Mets bullpen taking it from there. Well, the the one thing about it uh, that I see, um, I, the Mets have abandoned the Noah Syndergaard at home idea, so that's that's not even a consideration to me. Syndergaard is two six, uh, and it's either Harvey one five or three seven. That's that's the the way this looks. Um, to me, this has to do with the layoff. Um, layoffs affect pitchers. I hate these layoffs. Um, <laughs> if, if, if you'll indulge me, I can tell my Charlie Manuel story about what I have suggested and I have proposed to Major League Baseball about these layoffs. But we can talk about that in one second. Let me answer your question first. Um, to me, you have to sit down with DeGrom and find out, number one, is he tired? He looks tired. He's battling out there, but he looks tired. Um, he looked okay factor? on Jimmy Kimmel. He looked okay would, on Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> funny. Would, would he – I did not stay up for that. Um, would, you, would he be better in a game one setting? Uh, I don't know. I like the idea of DeGrom in game seven. Um, I, I like that. Plus, DeGrom hasn't pitched at home yet. Um, I can't, if, if I'm picking it, I'd go Harvey 1-5, and I would go DeGrom 3-7. But uh, – I don't think you're wrong if you go the other direction. I don't think that's a major major thing. My argument about the, the, the layoffs, if you look at 06, the Tigers, uh, if you look at 07, the Rockies, that's the best example of this, mm-hmm. um, you see these teams that are flying. I mean, the New York Mets, are on, they're flying right now. This is, this is a great historic run for the New York Mets. And what do they get for their troubles? Six days of pretend fake media workouts? I, I'm sorry, that it doesn't work. What I would do, and this is my suggestion, and there have been baseball people that have applauded it, but there are baseball people that mocked it. Uh, I, de- I never asked Terry Collins because I really never thought we were getting to this point. I would take the team to Arizona. I would have taken the team for Arizona. Um, I would have gone yesterday. I would have stayed till Sunday night. I would have played three exhibition games, two or three exhibition games, against the teams made up from the Arizona Fall League. I would let each starter pitch 60 pitches, but get on a mound, face a hitter. None of these side sessions, none of this nonsense. You, well, the, the, you that's, cannot that's simulate I mean, you're going to have the, uh, the pitch count crowd going to be angry at you. I, you know what? You're almost proposing something that Pat Riley used to do before the playoffs. He would take the Knicks like on a, uh, a, mini, tr- a mini training camp. Yeah, that little right. lay- layoff. If you have yeah. a layoff, if you have a layoff, you need. It's mostly for the pitchers. It, it, it's it's all for the pitchers. You know, the, the one thing you know, John Gibbons and I go way back, and I plan on having John Gibbons on a podcast very very soon. Um, one of my biggest cr- cr- critiques, and I've had a few of them of him in this playoffs, was not throwing David Price before Game One that last weekend of the season. Um, the Royals had just clinched home field. It was considered irrelevant, so they scratched Price. And I thought that was idiotic. I said, throw him five innings. Give him some, some competition. Um, he should not make his first postseason start. If there's a monkey on his back with his postseason numbers, what he should not do is he should not uh, have nine days before his first start. And what happened? He overthrew. This happens all the time. Um, 
I can't say, you know, whatever it is, if DeGrom needs the time off because he's thrown so many innings, you know, Harvey's innings are so well documented. I want him to break the record and throw the most innings for a guy off Tommy John surgery. I think that's <laughs> comedy. Um, but if you have that, I understand. But they need to do something other than these little uh, press conference dealies. You know what I mean? They actually <laughs> had a – I was laughing because I was showing clips you know, on the uh, on SNY and at the podium because yesterday it was a volunteer workout. It was like Kelly Johnson uh, right. or Wilma Flores next to uh, Matt Reynolds. <laughs> right, right, right. Who who, who wanted yeah. to, who who wanted to, to show up? Played, who hasn't actually played a, a major league game to this point? I think Harvey's the biggest concern with the layoff because we've seen, at least in the regular season, that he has not pitched well with extended layoff time. And obviously his worst game of the postseason at this point was his first start against the Dodgers after an extended layoff. The other guys got some rest, and DeGrom and Syndergaard and all those guys uh, looked, looked quite well. Um, yeah, it, it's just Charlie Manuel laughed me out of the building because I suggested it for the 08 Phillies, and they won, so they bucked the trend. But the, the 2007 Rockies, like I thought about it in 06, but in 07 at that World Series, and it, you know, between the Rockies and the Red Sox, the Colorado Rockies had – Literally, they'd won 21 of 23 to get in to the postseason. They were on this killer run. They waxed the poetic with the National League, and then all of a sudden, what do they get for their troubles? A week off? I don't know. I, I, keep them busy. That's all I it's said. Not, it's Hurdle it's, it's not the busy. craziest idea. It's not the craziest idea. Now, Seth, before, before we, we let you go, so you're a podcast addict. Is the Weekend Watchdogs part of your rotation? Oh, can it we is. It is. It gets downloaded. Yeah, and and really, all you want for me is the download, because once it's downloaded, then you get the credit. <laughs> well, the numbers are like forever. That's yeah. how I tell. That's what I tell my relatives. I tell my relatives yeah, I have three podcasts. Now I have four podcasts, and I'm soon going to have a fifth. Um, I can tell you all about them, uh, but the the fourth and fifth are not my idea. Um, but what I do is I tell my family, download it. You can delete it. It, they, you don't get the credit. Oh, you you never have to press play. Just download it. Oh, the thing, that's right. But you do have. You, the hope is, is that this, all this work and these words that you put out into the universe of, of great knowledge are actually going to be sopped up by somebody, not just you know left into cyberspace. That's the whole thing. Absolutely. And I, oh yeah, I was supposed to come on one of your podcasts, and I, you know, I got yeah, caught up in some stuff, and I thought about that. I could still yeah, do yeah. that. Uh, you know, I don't know if the invitation is still out there to mean that I stood you up this time. It is, it is. The, um, the, real quick, I'll do them real fast. Uh, the Sports with Friends is the one that you were talking about. Back when I was at the Target parking lot talking to you guys, it was called From the Press Box. I hated that right. name. That, we got rid of that name. I like it to play off words with friends. But what it is is it's sports talk, but the guy has to be a friend. It has to have the chummy making fun of each other, kind of tell funny stories. Like, it, it can't be – it has to be can't sports, be. but it has to be sports with friends. I love that concept of it. I think that's where I'd love the media to be. I, lo- I love putting on friends, especially if they have if, – if they're – you know, I don't want to come off the wrong way, but I know people in the sports industry. I love that idea that I could put my friends on and they're relevant sports guests. I, I think that's kind of neat. Um, the baseball one is the diamond. That is, um, that's been a tough one because that was supposed to be hosted by my, uh, my partner, uh, Daryl Hamilton. Um, right. That was the idea. Uh, once he passed, I kept it going basically because his family told me to. And it's been hard because I've had guest issues. 
you know what I mean, just finding guests and, 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 and booking these people and trying to get it at times that our schedules coordinate and, and whatnot. And then the third one that I created was Hall of Justice, which is the ultimate superhero one. I recommend the last episode. It's about a short film that a guy that, Joe, I know you know him from our days at, at uh, MLB Advanced Media. Do you remember J.C.? J.C. Reifenberg? Not familiar? That sounds familiar, that. You would, you would if you saw him. He, um, he moved out to Los Angeles, and he's a filmmaker, and he works now with Kevin Smith. And J.C. is a Star Wars addict. And he you did a very great... Star Wars. Right, he did an homage to... Star Wars with this it's a three minute short film the YouTube link is on the podcast and I talked to him and it turns into this great Star Wars discussion but it it really will entice you if if you're interested uh, if you're excited about the upcoming movie um, the summer of 78 is his short film it's only three minutes long and then he joined me on the podcast and then the, the fine folks at blog talk radio had this great idea about highlighting other podcasts. So this is where I, I put the onus on you guys. The, the idea, the concept is, it's called the week in podcasting. And what happens is podcasts all over the, the world submit clips to the show, and we go through the clips and pick, and we highlight three shows. We have empirically seen that any show we highlight sees a significant increase in their downloads for that week. That's why you're on. So basically, we could we could suggest the Seth Everett interview. <laughs> take, <laughs> take a three minute think, clip. Let's the do Mar- the Daniel Murphy story. That that'll yeah, be perfect. The Murphy hey, listen, your go. Daniel Murphy comments. Your Daniel Murphy comments are going to be going up on Twitter in the next 24 hours, and you're going to get a lot of uh, angry Mongo Mets fans after you. And uh, you know what? I'm not saying I'm, I'm you know getting on your case. Um, you might actually become a story similar to the whole Sheldon Richardson uh, thing. That yeah, that's okay. Day. That's okay. I, I, look, I've said them when the Mets won the pennant, uh, a lot of tweets, I got a lot of tweets, but a lot of the tweets were, can you say something nice about Murph now? All I well, ask, whenever, whenever somebody wants to talk about Daniel Murphy, just be objective. Look, I hate Manny Ramirez with a passion. He pushed a traveling secretary down to the ground after there was a fight about comp tickets. And that's what led to his trade to the Dodgers. I will never participate in a broadcast with Manny Ramirez. I will say he's the best right-handed hitter of my generation. So if somebody says to me, Manny Ramirez, tell me about him, I'll say best right-handed hitter of my generation. Barry Bonds, greatest overall hitter I've ever seen. Now, if you want to tell the details of the story, that's when the other things come into fruition. But I'd like to say I can keep my objectivity and talk about the great run that Daniel Murphy's had the only time I ever bring this up is when you make comments like, well, what did Gary Cohen mean? Well, what did Gary Cohen mean? I know exactly what Gary Cohen meant. Exactly. Well, what's your prediction? I'm going to go Mets in six, um, but I think it's going to be a tough six games, and I think this is going to really push them to the limit. Um, it's not going to be a walkover. And if we're talking sweep, then, geez, maybe there is some divine intervention for the New York Mets and Sandy Aldis and Terry Collins. Um, what is your prediction as uh, we wrap up here on the Weekend Watchdogs? Who uh, prediction? I mean, I'm going to say it goes seven games. I think that you know, once you get to the seventh game, it's a crapshoot. Uh, but I will say, uh, I'll say Royals in seven. I knew that was coming. Hey, we had a better <laughs> conversation today, and I always go back to it than the, than the first one we had 
when Seth basically said I was a fanboy proposing the Mets get Johan Santana for 50 cents on the dollar. And I said, the day I die, I will say, Seth, I was actually right about that. That was Seth's first foray into Mike Silva Media. I do have a great and memory. And he wanted me to make me look stupid. I forget. But like most people in this business, when they think I'm the dopey one, they look back and say, maybe that guy knew a few things that he's talking about. Maybe, a maybe few he knew a few things. Seth, enjoy <sighs> trick-or-treating. No. I will actually, here's the deal. I will text you this week. And I will come on. What is it? Words, uh, uh, sports. Uh, am Words I considered with a friend, or do I go on the diamond? Because I'm not really a celebrity in the baseball world. How it doesn't does have it, to be a celebrity friend. It just has to be a friend. Okay. It doesn't have to be a celebrity well, now friend. Now a friend. It has to, has to have I mean, a friend. Here's a perfect example. The FIFA soccer scandal happened, right? Okay, it's a big story. My buddy covered it for NBC News Channel. Sure, there are soccer guests. Sure, I could have gotten Alexi Lawless. I don't know him. I got my buddy who I went to college with, and where he lived in my floor. Like, that's how we find these, these things out. Like, there's, so, there's always going to be a combination. A lot of times it can be friend of a friend because, for example, um, the guy who did the Soviet Red Army movie, have you seen that movie, that documentary? Yeah, the 30 oh my to 30, God. yep. Yeah, so a friend of mine says, I know Gabe Polsky. I said, ah, voila, <laughs> and Gabe Polsky was on uh, Sports with Friends. So that's how the whole thing happens. It has to just come uh, organically. That's why I can't say uh, it, it comes out Tuesdays. Like, I, it comes out whenever I do it. I mean, if anything, I think Mike Silva is probably friend of a friend because if we're really talking, I'm the friend here in this Oh, But I had him on. I had him back on a show in 2007 when I probably had six people listening, the original six people. So he's an original guest. I'm an original okay. guest. And that was when he was still doing the show on MLB Net. That was when you were still on the um, on MLB Network Radio with Hamilton. Wasn't that uh, Seth and T-Bone? What was the name? What, Seth and T- what was Seth the, and uh, the name of that show? Seth Staying and hot Bone, with right? Seth and Bone. Staying hot yep. with Seth and Bone. Well, well Seth, you are always uh, welcome on our show. I will text you. And uh, if I have to be My a friend pleasure. of a friend for purposes of uh, Joe, I'll be friend of a friend. And uh, uh, we'll see. I we'll, might not we'll, have we'll as much of a We'll check your credentials at the door. We'll check your credentials. Never turn so down credentials. Never turn down credentials. That's true. <laughs> never, you Seth, never turn down credentials. Enjoy, enjoy your weekend. Thanks, man, for a few minutes today. Thanks for coming on. No problem. That's uh, Seth Everett. Interesting segment with Seth Everett. Hey, let's take a, a, a quick break, Joe. When we return, we'll, uh, we'll recap a little bit more baseball. We'll get into the Jets-Patriots. Originally, I'd said that we'd had Seth Walder of the New York Daily News. Seth had something come up, so we're going to have to reschedule with him. Uh, tried to do a little audible, um, but obviously, as uh, Seth Everett said, getting guests on Saturday morning is not always the easiest thing. Let's put it that way. But I think we should let's let's um, take the break. Let's kind of recap some of Seth's thoughts, and then maybe we'll then transition the last forty minutes into into Jets, Pats, and Giants, Cowboys. Jets, Pats, and maybe we'll throw a, a sprinkle of Giants and Dallas in there. You are listening to the Weekend Watchdogs, Mike Silva, Joe Bono, taking you all the way up till noon. If you want to give us a call, the number six four six seven one six eight one eight seven. And then we'll be right back. Now bends in for the sign. Come set. Here's the payoff pitch from Familia to Fowler on the way. And it's in there. Strike three called. The Mets win the pennant. The New York Mets have won the National League pennant. Put it in the box. The New York Mets, for the first time in 15 years, are champions of the National League. After that... That last out, you you comprehend that the next game that you play will be a World Series game, and I mean I I can't understand it. Um, I can't under, 
tell you the emotion that's going through me right now in this group of guys, but I am so proud of this organization. I'm so excited for this city, for our fans. They deserve this, and uh, I'm glad we're able to deliver for them. So, you know, I think that um, with the adversity that, that this group has gone through, with, um, you know, the challenges this year, um, you know, to be able to, to do it with this group of guys, like I said, I can't be more proud. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Weekend Watchdogs, Mike Silva, Joe Bono on this uh, lovely fall Saturday, October the 24th, uh, just a few days away from Game 1 of the World Series. Mets will be in Kansas City. Taking on the Kansas City Royals. Don't know the matchup just yet. But uh, all that matters right now, I think, is everybody enjoying the moment, enjoying the preparation, enjoying looking back a little bit, uh, still savoring of the Mets-Cubs, uh, the Mets sweep of the Cubs. I think that kind of today is the transition day. I think the Royals won. you get one more time to kind of start to look back. I think you got to look forward. Obviously, the Mets have a workout later this today. We'll uh, you know maybe get an update on Cespedes golf swing shoulder. Uh, Seth Everett had a lot to say there, Joe. Um, you know, I don't disagree about the Royals situation. This is not going to be an easy series. You know, and you look at the numbers, uh, you know, they don't stand out to you as this offensive jugg- juggernaut. You got a little bit of power with Kendry Morales and Mike Stockus and, uh, you know, obviously Hosmer and, and, and Salvador Perez. Well, Salvador Perez is, is kind of a hit or miss guy. They have Ben Zobris, he's an on-base guy. I mean, you know, you look at – you take the bullpen, which is really strong out of the equation. They're just solid up and down the roster. There's nothing there that stands out, and I could see where you overlook them. And I think that's the key. I don't think the Mets could overlook them. Now, I think in the, in the era where we've had this idea for a little bit with offense having gone back to early 90s levels, pre-steroid you know steroid era, so if you will – that there was this idea that if you would put together a really strong offense in this era of depressed offense, that pitching is a lot easier to find. So get the good offense. Even if you get yourself average pitching, it's still going to get you through in an era of depressed offense. The Mets just blew that idea away. Now, the Mets have three guys, three and a half, because Max hasn't really arrived yet, that are number ones. So not many teams could throw that out there at you. But... If the Mets pitchers are on, I don't care if it's uh, the Royals, the Cubs, the Dodgers, uh, even if it was Toronto, the Mets showed that they could shut Toronto down when they played them the regular season. Now, the team, the game that Toronto blew them out was Cologne-Nice, if you remember. And those guys are coming out of the bullpen right now. And obviously made a couple moves at the break. One was bringing in Zobris, who's been exactly what they expected from him, a guy that can play second base every day, pros pro hitter, professional hitter, timely hitting, quality defense, um, does all the small things right. But then the other big move was getting Johnny Cueto. And let's be honest, Royal fans were scared to death of Johnny Cueto pitching a game seven today. Um, That's how poorly he's been for them really since September on. Um, So, you know, Cueto, uh, Volquez is a talented pitcher. You might have seen a lot of him being in Cincinnati and being in Pittsburgh. So anything he has shouldn't be a surprise. Same thing goes for Cueto. It's a guy that they are familiar with. It's not an AL pitcher that you've seen maybe once in an interleague, and that's all. And then Ventura is a boomer bust type of arm. 
And then um, Chris Young, the uh, former Met, who's had a bit of a renaissance season with the Royals. So that's really going to be their four games. And, you know, you look back at these uh, game four-type matchups, and depending on what the series looks like, but let's say it's a 2-1 series and both guys, both teams go with their game four starters. That's, you know, Steven Matz potentially versus Chris Young. And that's still, I think, a plus matchup for the Mets. Uh, Matz, listen, he could have easily gotten six innings. Uh, having the yeah, pullback alone, the they misplayed the pop-up down the line. Otherwise, the one, two, three inning, he had one little hiccup there. Other than that, he would have gone at least five to get the win, if not six innings. Um, so, yeah, I'm really interested in this series. And, uh, you know, you think about looking at the experience on their part being an advantage that they were in the World Series here last year in Lawson Game 7. They showed us that of the last seven teams that have gone to the World Series in back-to-back years, um, four out of the seven have lost uh, that World Series. And most reason, uh, recently, Texas. the Texas Rangers. Uh, so right. just because the they're there now and they were there last year does not necessarily mean that that experience is going to play a big part in the series. I mean, if anything, the Mets' experience or lack thereof has proved to be the advantage here because these guys just go out there and they just play and they just throw and they just pitch and they're confident and they're having a time of their lives and it's just been keep on going. Let's see if it keeps on going uh, one more week. And it was actually Sandy Alderson had, had said in one of his uh, comments in the Joel Sherman New York Post article that was out earlier today that when they were acquiring Uena Cespedes, that there was always that thought that these trade deadline moves don't have the impact that people think. you got to remember something. You acquire someone on July 31st, you have eight weeks left, maybe nine to the regular season. There is an adjustment period. I mean, here's players that have gone and had a routine, and, and they know where their home base is, and, and now they have to be uprooted, and they're, they're probably living out of a suitcase, and they can't see their families. And the whole, you know, baseball is so much about routine that when that routine is broken – not everybody adjusts in eight or nine weeks. Sometimes it takes that eight or nine weeks, and then if they're signed, then you see a little bit of a difference the following year. Johnny Cueto may have fallen to that. Johnny Cueto, the numbers that he's had with Kansas City are outliers for his career. The Mets faced him earlier this year. I think they beat him 2-1. He was tough. Um, now, against uh, Houston in the division series, he wasn't that bad. He was bad against Toronto. So I think to... Uh, uh, underestimate him would be dangerous if you're a uh, if you're looking at it from the Mets' point of view, and maybe he's falling. You know, maybe he's falling into that situation where, um, you know, obviously the uh, uh, you know the the adjustment period has come into play. But they're in the World Series now, so let's see. Uh, I think we have our buddy Drew from Bayshore on the line. Drew, you're on with Mike and Joe. How you doing? Good morning, guys. Uh, surreal, surreal feeling as a Mets fan to be in the World Series. Four games away from winning the whole thing. I, I mean, just an unbelievable feeling for us. It's been so long since we felt so good about this team. Um, I, you know, I, I was watching the other night, and, and at one point, you know, when they're clinching, I'm like, is this really happening? Like, uh, is this a dream? <laughs> it was hard to believe at some point. Um, just how this team has come together, how they've gotten some production out of guys that they haven't never gotten production like that out of before. And two things struck me. One was like, you know, they did things so well that historically they've done so badly, which was like, you know, base running mistakes. You were waiting for like the silly infield mistake. And those just never happened. And it it was remarkable what the outcome was. And the second thing. remarkable, Drew, is they made mistakes or things go their way, but then they didn't end up hurting, you know, like not covering 
or that ended up taking Matt to the game, and then uh, Cologne has to take a big strike against their client. Uh, so even the mistake they made, they backed each other up as teammates, and they got out of it unscathed, which yeah. was real surprising. That's that's true, too. Uh, I forgot those uh, parts as well. And then the second thing that was remarkable is, I, you know, I've been re- listening to a lot of talk radio the whole week, as I'm sure as you guys have, and it's remarkable about the amount of credit Sandy Alderson gets and the lack thereof that, you know, Omar Manaya gets. So many of these guys are Omar guys. <laughs> He's been doing his radio tour this week. He was on with Francesa. He was on with Michael Kay. I think people who know baseball and know the story of the Mets know that the majority of this roster, um, the bigger players, either directly or indirectly came from Omar Minaya. Yeah. Minaya was was a, a a miscast character. He was a scout thrown in as an executive. He's not a good executive. And uh, the Mets yeah. will tell you. You know, I talked to people very high up with the Mets who said the difference between Omar and, and Sandy is that Sandy has a plan, and he goes and executes the plan, and Omar pretty much let things come to him and let's see where things go. And with that, with Omar's philosophy, you win some, you lose some. And from a payroll point of view, the Mets needed to have some certainty. And part oh, of that absolutely. was developing the farm system. And I think Sandy Alderson gave Paul Podesta a lot of credit for how he uh, executed the process. Look, a lot of this stuff is just putting a process in place, putting good people in place, and then letting your player development guys see it through. Omar may have found good talent, but he had a horrible individual running the, uh, the minor leagues in Tony Bernazard. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, you know, Omar's a guy that I'd love to have. If I was a, a, an executive, shoot, if Sandy Olderson wanted to bring Omar in as a scout, I don't think that that's a bad thing. I mean, that's not going to happen because now he's with the Players Association. But you don't want Omar Minaya running your organization as an executive. There's a difference between being a scout. It's the same argument, Joe, that we have with uh, Rex Ryan. Rex is a good defensive coach. You probably don't want him as a head coach. Omar's the same, same, same camp there. Really. It's so, Drew, yeah. are you – what's your plan World Series-wise? Mets Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, I know you're engaged. Will your fiancé get you an early wedding gift? the Yankee <laughs> fan to the World Series, or are you just going to be watching them at home? What, what's uh, the plan? For you know, I, I, well, you know, uh, I, I was a little happy that we slipped the Cubs and freed up my social calendar this weekend because I have a few things going on. But as for the World Series, um, I don't know, during the week, uh, we're gonna, uh, a bunch of our friends are going to get together. Maybe we'll watch it out. But Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I have been scouring the Internet, you know, trying to find some tickets here and there. It's a couple hundred bucks, so you found something for a couple polite. hundred bucks? I went to, I think the cheapest ticket I saw was like standing room only. You're talking six hundred dollars for that. Yeah, I, I went, to, I saw something last night, and my, you know, it was kind of late, and maybe I missed it. I thought that one of the games was down in like four fifty five hundred range. The um, parking passes are like a hundred dollars. Is that what it was? I don't know if it was the parking pass you saw. They're not. They wouldn't be four hundred fifty dollars parking passes. But even the parking passes are that expensive right now. But that doesn't make any sense. You can park for thirty dollars. That doesn't make any sense. I don't know. They want. I guarantee you. I think it guarantees, it guarantees you. Yeah, it guarantees a spot probably uh, close to the stadium. And uh, Drew, thanks for the uh, the call there. Um, look, Mike. You Mike know what? World, have you ever been to a World Series game, Mike? No, I was 
I did not get a chance to go to the Met Yankees game. I'm not spending eight hundred bucks to go to a World Series game. I can tell you that much. I'll, so here's my here's my uh, is my story of the week. So um, as I mentioned previously, I bought the twenty game package for next year to secure playoff tickets, hoping, hey, listen, you know, best case scenario, something like exactly what's played out happens. Worst case scenario, the money gets put towards next year's tickets, and you know, I'm watching a team that won the division and go into, you know, seven, eight games a year between myself, brother, dad, family, friends, et cetera. Um, because I had the 20-game package, I got an email late on Tuesday night saying that you can get a pre-sale for World Series tickets because of me, my standing, right? And you had to make the transaction all at once. You only allowed one transaction. So you couldn't buy tickets, go back in, buy tickets, go back in. So I log in exactly at 10 a.m. And I go game three, two tickets, and it comes up best available standing room only. So there was nothing with seats. I don't even know why they even put out. I couldn't, there was not, I, I tried like the $300 a pop ones, nothing. Two tickets, standing room only, right there in my cart, $125 each. And I'm like, then I go, I'm trying, I go, all right, let me see if I can add a game. Go to add a game, Windows not opening, Windows not opening, Windows not opening, like for like a Broke minute. the server. Right? I back out, try to get back in, everything was gone. Everything was gone. Everything. And honestly, I probably, I wouldn't have probably sold them on stuff, but I would have given them, because there's a lot of Met fans that I know, uh, friends and family-wise, that would die to go to that game, and I would have done that. Now, my tickets are in Section 532, Mike, which is behind left field. You don't really get to see the left field fence. Uh, it's pretty obstructed. So anything over the left fielder's head, a gap, you, you're kind of looking at a TV to your left. It's not ideal. Saturday's game where I froze, uh, the Harvey start game one, my brother and I got there around 6.15 or so, and we actually stood for the whole game in standing room only. So we were right there uh, uh third base and home at the back of the lower level and with a with a good view of the of the stadium of the, of the field really great view of the field and it's it's perfect like we have a great spot we're not obstructed there's no one there there's girls in front of us that are all blanketed up they're not standing and then uh all of a sudden a mammoth guy like a six foot five guy who's about three hundred and fifty <laughs> pounds is there. And he's standing uh, for the entire first inning and literally blocking everything between the pitcher and, and the batter. Uh, my brother got very, very frustrated. What also happened here was I got a tap on the shoulder, and it was a woman with her little daughter, I'm telling you, maybe four or five years old tops. And, he, and she goes, excuse me, sir, would it be okay if my daughter stands in front of you? She's really small. I mean, what are you going to say? So, yeah, okay. Stand in front of me, but now I'm not up against the rail, and, you know, I'm like, What's, this is kind of weird. Like, I'm not, you know, I have a little five-year-old girl sitting in front of me. So then I go, are you guys by yourselves? And she's like, yeah, it's just the two of us. I'm like, do you have seats? I'm like, oh, we have standing room only. I said, take my seats. Oh, very nice. So she, took, she took my seats. She went up. The little girl looks out to me. She's like, thank you so much, mister. You're really nice. And, I mean, little does she know I just want her out of my way. If she's listening to this show, now she knows that you're not as altruistic. But my brother got so upset when the big guy got there, Mike, that he was like, call this woman up. I want my ticket back. I'm like, calm down. Luckily, the big guy started getting a little tired standing up and standing down, so it wasn't too bad. He was okay. I got to tell you, Joe, it was so much more relaxing me watching this from home 
you know, being able to hear the the broadcast uh, as soon as the game is over, uh, you know, with the Daniel Murphy uh, uh, diving play, I could go back, relax, go back to bed. It was way too cold for me to spend uh, those two nights at City Field. I give you credit for that uh, war pay. Let me ask you a question. With the Mets at Barclays yesterday, was there a general excitement? Are you as outraged by the fact that they couldn't give the Mets an actual Islanders jersey? They had to give them one of those ghetto black and white NY uh, Islanders jerseys. Um, I bothered can't people. expect anything else. Uh, I was surprised at the amount of players that were there. And here's, listen, here's another thing. You're not going – the Mets were never coming to Nassau County uh, for a game. Let's just put it that way. Uh, but, yeah, that. I was a little perturbed. You could, have had, you could have had the black jersey alongside the traditional one. I mean, why you got to have a promotional opportunity? You know, everyone like – How was the crowd like, yesterday? Oh, the crowd? a lot of Bruins fans. A lot of Bruins fans there last night. That's not good. And the, the, crowds, the, the Islanders fans haven't been uh, – you know – the, the the Brooklyn experiment has gone off to a rocky start. Is that fair to say? Despite the presence of the New York Mets at yesterday's game. Uh yeah. I mean, attendance is uh, attendance is um kind of in line with what it was at Nassau Coliseum, which wasn't great. You know, eleven, twelve thousand, thirteen thousand uh, a game. So uh, I guess yeah, they got some work to do. Although year, I will Joe. say. I've been there now three games. I've been there for three regular season games now, and um, I think it is feeling more at home. People are getting more accustomed to the routine. They're enjoying the good parts of Barclays Center, which is obviously the surrounding areas and all the things to do that there before and after games, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's been better. It'll continue to get better. Still some things that perturbed me. The performance perturbed me more than anything last night. Um, but things are getting better. I'm not going to kill the Islanders today. I know you wanted to talk Nick's basketball today. Um, well, which the Knicks, the blew Knicks my mind. A... I cannot believe there's a basketball regular season game happening uh, next week. I cannot we'll believe. Probably have to push. Well, with the Knicks fact that there's big like, football like, like, like oh my god, can't... talk about like hockey being on the back of the radar and um, and even the NFL season being pushed back. NBA basketball. Only thing I saw this week yep. that amused me with the Knicks was seeing Porzingis with his cornrows. That was it as a kid. That was the only picture that I actually enjoyed this week from Nick. Quietly, they had some. Season. Thank God I follow quietly, Tommy D on had Twitter. Some I have a little bit of what's going on. There's quietly, they've had some. And by the way, uh, Frank Isola and I are on very bad terms again. I got a don't bother text from him. So I don't know if he's coming. Well, let me show know when you're on good terms. That, that's so volatile, I don't know what uh, what to expect. The, if the Knicks get off to an 0-7 start. So if, you, Frank... so if you were hosting Seth Everett's show sports with friends, Frank Isola would, would not. Maybe you should do a show called... Sports with foes, Mike. Sports with foes. I could bring all the phonies that I've met into this business and on the field, and we could have conversations about how phony they are. <laughs> Which, you know, by the way, you know, Seth Everett ain't exactly uh, handling people with kids' gloves when he comes on. Nope. So you talk about me. Never has. Never has. Give Seth credit. You know, he goes there. I thought, and, and I know we got to transition to the Jets and Pats in a couple of minutes when we take a break. I thought A-Rod was pretty good on the, uh, and I saw, saw very little of it. I watched the last few innings, but, you know, Pete Rose is being typical of that generation. Pete, what they you know, want him to be. What they want I mean, him to be. I mean, I just took a step back. You know, you bring like, someone like of that generation Pete Rose, get. Pete Rose and Alex Rodriguez. I mean, these are probably the two most controversial stars in the history of baseball. Unless Barry Bonds wanted to be up there as well. And on the same platform with Kevin Burkhart, it's so, it's so bizarre and just crazy. And I love that. Uh, that I guy, but it works. Kevin's a great guy, Kevin Burkhardt. He was always very gentlemanly and nice to me when I was at the ballpark. 
um, you know, follows me on Twitter, and, and I really enjoy his work with the Mets. But I am not looking forward to the Fox broadcast. Between Joe Buck, um, I mean, Aaron Andrews, just the two minutes I saw her interview Ned Bios, I just my blood boils. There's not many people I dislike. I mean, to the Samantha of. Ryan was fantastic. She's the best part of the TBS broadcast. She was the best part. To the point, to the point you know, Aaron you know, I know they have to use her because they're paying her, but, uh, you know, for someone that, you know, now is suing for $75 million for an event that basically made her career, you know, the phoniness can't be, uh, the phoniness can't be any worse than, than what it is. So, uh, anyway, let's take a quick break. Like I said, we were originally going to have Seth Walder, the New York Daily News, Jets beat reporter. He had to pull a little audible, had something come up. So we, Joe and I will handle the, the football coverage. We'll do our picks. I'm sure Mojo will pop on. Uh, I actually saw Mojo earlier this week. We watched Game Three together at, in Long Island. Wow! Well, um, yeah, we watched. I, I actually got myself to a bar for Game Three. Thanks for the invite. Uh, it, was, it was a struggle. It was a struggle, um, but we did. We watched Game Three, the uh, the Ivy game, I guess we could call it from this point forward. And uh, we'll have him pop on. I'm, I'm sure to do the picks with us and what have you. And if you want to give us a call, the number six four six seven one six eight one eight seven, and listen to the show live and replay at WeekendWatchdogs.com. We'll be right back. It's game six. It's a division opponent. You want to win your division games, but it's, it's game six. If we win, it's not putting us in the Super Bowl. If we lose, it's not going to break our season. So we still got to treat it like every other game. Obviously, it'll be intense Sunday when we get there, but we got to treat it like any other game and keep doing our job and work. They've been uh, playing lights out on, on offense, and, and um, you know we've been playing lights out on defense. So obviously it's the number one offense versus number one defense, and, and um it should be very exciting. It should be very fun. Um, you know, we're looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. I think they're starting to understand what it takes to try and win, and we're trying to win ball games. We're not trying to win one ball game. We're trying to win them all. So, never get too high or too low. We know it's a long season, a long process with injuries and everything else. And you know, I think we're starting to realize that. Now, it is a big game uh, because it is a conference game and, and everything. But uh, at, at the same time, um, it's still it's still early in the season. Mike Silva, Joe Bono, we've been talking baseball pretty much the entire show. We had Seth Everett on earlier, who uh, had strong thoughts about Daniel Murphy and gave a uh, not great prediction, I guess. Think we're going to get on the podcast, uh, what to look for, whatever it was called, the three-minute clip. I don't know. uh, The best in podcasting this week. I guess we could. I'm definitely, you know what? I, you know what? Maybe this is the week. I did ball him off last time. He told me to text him. And I was like, eh, do I want to do the podcast? And then it was in the middle of the trade deadline and the Mets, and I kind of got caught up in that Washington series, and I forgot. And then I realized that I was like, ah, I should have I should have done it. So, um, I mean, trying to have some exposure for our show, Mike. you got to prioritize these things. Yeah, you know, we have to clean that up a little bit. I have to, uh, you, know, you know, being that now it seems like everything is about podcasting and uh, maybe terrestrial radio where you and I started, maybe we need to, to move towards more of a podcast-generated type of product here as we move into 2016. We'll probably have to talk about that. But anyway, um, you and I could talk about the Jets. And I had said earlier in the year, probably middle of September after the Jets had beaten the uh, Colts, that wouldn't it be cool if both the Jets and the Patriots heading into week seven were undefeated playing for the division. Now, that didn't happen. The Jets lost to Philadelphia, I believe, that, that week, actually. And the Patriots have done nothing but look Outstanding. I mean, it's like, you know, they're on a mission. You have Tom Brady now talking about playing another decade. So, you know, 
This is not going to be an easy game. I do think it's going to be a close game. I actually have the Jets as my love this week in our picks. I've been pretty good on our picks uh, thus far. Uh, with the Jet- Patriots being an eight-point favorite, I think it's going to be a close game. Even if the Jets lose, I don't think they're going to lose by more than eight. Um, you got to start to feel, Now I think it was Manish Meta of um, the Daily News that said that this team, the Jets, is starting to look a little bit like that 98 Parcells team. I don't want to go that far. But you got Ryan Fitzpatrick, who could play the role of Vinny Testaverde, that you know, much maligned, talented quarterback. You got Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker coming in, doing a little of uh, Keyshawn and Krebet on there. You got Ivory doing a, you know, you know, they talk about being a top ten running back. You know, that's not a crazy statement the way he's played. The Jets are a very balanced offensive team, and for a team that even in the best of times under Rex Ryan, Joe was not an offensive team and never felt, you never felt good about the direction that they did on offense and the way they were able to score on offense. It was all about the defense. This is a pretty balanced Jets team, and I think that – I don't know if they're going to win in Foxborough. I think it's going to be a close game. I think the Pats are going to eke it out. But I think the Jets will make a statement that they're here to stay, and I think you have to feel really good about this Jets team. But this is a test game. Joe, the Colts game was a test game, but I think we're starting to see the Colts aren't all that great even though the Jets went in there and dismantled them on the road. This is the first real game. You know, if the Jets go, and even if they lose, but they play competitively and they show that they're for real, I think you're going to feel much better about the Jets, and I think you're going to have a different look about them or a different feel of them come Monday. Yeah, I think more critical about the Jets at this point is that they're suitable, and I don't think they play day one. That impresses me. The top the week two road will be Indianapolis. But you've seen that in the team machine, how flawed they are. And now the game the Colts has a couple of really well-put-dunes, glorious, long-winded field. So the Jets on their job. They beat up and handily against opponents that are inferior, right? The Browns, the Redskins coming in all beat up last week with no secondary and Kirk Cousins and that offense and no running game with missing three-fifths of their offensive line. Um, you know, the Dolphins playing them at their at their bottom point of the year, having to fire the head coach after he, after he had lost the team. And their schedule after this game, and I talked about this last week, Jets should win 10 games. Jets should go 10. If they go anything lower than 10 and 6, it's a huge disappointment with the talent level they have and what their schedule looks like. Um, I am fascinated to see how they turn out and play against the Patriots. Now, we've seen worse Jet teams. We've seen teams worse than this personnel-wise go into Foxborough and actually have good matchups with the Patriots. Right. So it would not surprise me to have a game. You know, Joe Benigno on WFAN this week was talking about if Ryan Fitzpatrick was not the quarterback and you substituted a top-12 quarterback in the league, people would be talking about this as a Super Bowl team. Maybe that would have been the case. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but we'll see what they can do offensively against this Patriots defense because generally what Bill Belichick does – I'm taking the new best, Chris Ivory, and see how you match up against the But the Patriots do so offensively, but in the league, is they get rid of the ball. They get rid of quick. They avoid the pass, and they don't love Chris Edelman and that all they have. But even if you go to roll reviews on Edelman, he's going to move around so much. He's crossing, he's going to do his land under, under, and getting a little of these pick 
I think there's ways to get it. So I'm with you. I like the Pats. I think they win. I mean, the plus nine I think is too much. So I think the Jets, too, will cover. It'll be a game within the touchdown. Um, but, you know, great slate of games here for the New York area, that being the first one. And I just want to get your thoughts on this, because I think the biggest takeaway for me this week, Mike, with the Jets, was how different Todd Bowles' approaches the week comparatively to how Rex Ryan would have approached this week. This well, there's already discontent. There's already discontent with Rex and Buffalo. You know, it's funny because everybody was talking about how the Jets came out of the bye, and historically they're not good after the bye against the Redskins and played well. Yes, you're right. Not exactly the greatest competition, but they really put a hurt on the Redskins in the second half. And now you see Buffalo and what's going on in Buffalo and how they've come unprepared. And, and, you know, you could even argue the Giants game they came unprepared to play. That's Rex Ryan. Rex Ryan is all about passion and let's go get him and us against the world, but there's no preparation. It goes back to the same argument we were having with about Omar Minaya and, and, and Sandy Alderson. Um, Bowles is a professional. Uh, they're on a mission. They're there to, you know, to play their game. And that's why I think that people were upset. And certainly if you read the quote in Metro, our buddy Christian Dyer, who uh, interviewed uh, Sheldon Richardson, Sheldon Richardson basically said if they play their game, they should win. Even, you, no, is that predicting a win? Sure. I mean, you could, you could make that argument. I think it was stretching a little bit. And then it, essentially it was the headline that bothered everybody. And you could make a headline. And the writer doesn't always do that. And the writer doesn't make the headline. I don't know what it is with Dyer and Metro. We tried to get Dyer on, and Christian said, hey, look, you know, it's just probably not the week for me to, to come on and do radio and what have you. And uh, I understand that. Dyer's got to uh, you know, answer to his employer. So you know, hopefully down the road we can get Dyer on the show and, and, and you know, maybe talk about that. There's no reason why this team shouldn't be confident. This is a great test. Um, I think, like I said, I think the biggest thing with the Jets is they're very balanced. I don't think they're extremely – it's like the argument I would the argument I made with the Kansas City Royals. I don't think anybody stands out to you when you look up and down the roster, but they've been solid. Now, if they go to Foxborough, Joe, and they lose fifty to ten, maybe you and I are having a different conversation next week. Uh, you seem to need. It sounds like you need to see the Jets show you more, and I understand the competition level. Even though they're down, though, I mean, this is a team that went into Indianapolis. I know that luck has been hurt and. And the offensive line, and and and, and Indianapolis has always been in luck. Anybody but the top in their division, though, Mike. They haven't beat anybody but the teams that are in their division. They play in the worst division in football, uh, with the Jaguars and the Texans and the Titans. So they're going to win their division again, and that's the only teams they beat. Everyone else they've lost to. Still, Andrew Luck. I'm not not, on Monday night. I don't want to sound like I'm not giving them credit, but the Jets at four and one. When I looked at their schedule, it's pretty much where I thought they'd be. You know, and the only team that's kind of in between there is the Eagles, and they lost that game. So, and, and the game they might have should have won, but they were down 20 nothing or so, you know, right away off the bat and came back and, uh, you know, fell short. So, I want to them be – I would love for them to play that, like the Sixers. Or like um, – you know, given the case and how this team, you know, and the women, yes, I think if they win 11, it's going to be enough because they're going to go to the season before. And it's just the best scenario like they were in Ryan's first year playing a week on the wild card. Yep, I mean, that that's very possible. That's actually very possible there. Uh, 
And I think we we just lost Joe, so we'll get uh, you know we just lost Joe. I think we'll, we'll get him back there, a little in and out there by Joe. But you know, look, I I I do think that the Jets right now have an opportunity, uh, you know, with this first year with this new regime, to to make a move, uh, you know, to compete. And to me, this is the game that will tell us whether or not they're a serious uh, division contender. I mean, you know, New England looks every bit as good as they did during their undefeated season. And I think I got Joe there. Joe, would you agree, I just said this, that the Pats right now look just as good as they did during their undefeated season back in 2008? Well, again, that 2017 had defensive parts that are superior than the defensive parts now. I mean, they had Vrabel. They had Seymour. They had um, Junior Seau was on that team. They had Ellis Hobbs. They had, you know, Rodney Harrison. They had veteran big-time defensive players on that team that made them go 16-0 in the postseason and almost go 19-0 and win the Super Bowl. Um, I don't think their defense is as good as that team. To me, that's the big separation. Offensively, it's not Moss and Brady. It's not the vertical passing game, but they're finding ways to put points on the board. And again, the interchangeable way that they go about their business, Mike, is just it's unbelievable. The fact that it's just Brady and Belichick, and all these other pieces just kind of come and go. And you could bring in a guy like Darrell Revis one year and then have him go. You bring, I mean, Revis and Browner were their cornerbacks last year. Both guys are gone, and they're still undefeated. It's unbelievable. They bring a guy in like Deion Lewis, you know, and he's, he's having a great season. Last year, you know, James White uh, comes in and has a four-touchdown game for them. Look at LeGarrette um, Blunt. It's what they do. LeGarrette it's amazing. LeGarrette goes to Pittsburgh, does nothing, comes back to the Patriots. There he is you know, barreling around for a couple of touchdowns. So, you know, on the football point, like I said, here we are week seven, and we've hardly dived into guests for the NFL, hardly done anything because of the baseball and because of all that's been going on. Giants, again, Joe, I keep going into this. I just don't know what to think. I mean, we know the division isn't great for the Giants. We know the Cowboys. Look, they have to win today, uh, this, I agree. this week, Joe. They I have agree. to. You got a, a Matt Castle in there. I know he won 11 games with New England, uh, but here's a guy that, and maybe this is more an indictment on Rex, that basically couldn't, you know, make his way in Buffalo, and where they need offense. Bad loss for the Giants this past week. If they don't win this game, then you have to start to question the, the, the people thinking that well, it's a weak division. They can win nine, ten games, get in the playoffs. Anything can happen. And you have Eli. I mean, that's why I feel so much better because I know that the Jets' competition hasn't been there. But they've done what you expected against that competition. The Giants, to me, you know, even though they beat the 49ers, they had to, you know, come back late. Uh, they, you know, they didn't look good against Philadelphia. Uh, you know, no, well, listen, game, you're asking me if the Jets are a better team than the Giants. The answer is yes. And I'm with you 100%. The Giants have any chance of, or hope of having a season where they win a division at 9-7 and seven or 8-8. Eight and eight. They have to win this game. They already have two division losses. You know, they're going to need to go probably 4-2 and two in the division, maybe even have a tiebreaker to get maybe the one spot the, NL, the um, NFC East gets in the postseason. Now, the game against Orleans, the Eagles Joe. on Monday night. The game against they got to go to New Orleans. You know, I mean, New Orleans is a beater. New Orleans is beatable, too. I mean, let's be honest. They've lost a lot of games in that building for a long time. Giants need to win this game. Uh, Matt Castle, remember, he was in Buffalo, and they decided to go with E.J. Manuel and Tyrod Taylor and cut Matt Castle after trading for him. So let's just realize who Matt Castle is before we are worried about him compared to Brandon Whedon. Um, Des, Des Bryant does not look like he's going to have to play, so they don't have to worry about that. People think that Cole Beasley might have a good game because of the connection uh, him and Matt Castle have. Um, but 
the Giants game against Eagles was so baffling because of the way it came out and the way they went down the field with ease to score the first touchdown, and then we're driving again. And then a couple plays, Larry Donnell gets the ball stripped from him on an interception, but it was really a strip. Um, you have the DeMontre Moore, who pretty much called himself a dumb player later in the week, saying how his football IQ was poor, with an inexcusable pa- uh, roughing the passer call that extended a drive that led to a touchdown. And then Eli's pick six. Beyond that, the defense wasn't awful again. I mean, the Eagles looked I can't, that was one that was a game where I'm like, how are the Eagles up by this many points? Because they looked awful in the game. But the Giant offense, for whatever reason, after they got on their heels, they could not pass protect again against the Eagles. The same thing happened on Sunday Night Football in that same building a year ago that happened on Monday night. When the Giants got behind and became one-dimensional, they could not pass protect Eli. And to me, how does this game get wrecked from a Giants perspective? Remember, the Cowboys lost to the Patriots couple weeks ago before their bye, but Greg Hardy in that lineup, they got to Brady a lot. They sacked Brady five times in that game, and again, him versus Eric Flowers, other members of that interior line against the Giants' offense, offensive line, can they protect Eli Manning during this game? If they can, I like the Giants' chances. If they can't, I can see this game being wrecked by, again, some bad Giant turnovers and some situational uh, play by the Cowboys, because Mike, I remember as a Giants fan being in the building, in recent years, where Jeff Garcia as the Cowboys quarterback has beaten the Giants, where John Kitna as the Cowboys quarterback has beaten the Giants. So this isn't the first time. Michael Vick. Not the first time. that the, Well, not, I'm talking about Cowboy quarterbacks. This is not the first time that Tony Romo has missed a game against the Giants at home, and the Giants have lost those games. So Are you going to we'll be see. covering for Fox Sports uh, Radio this, this game? I am. I am. I got the call on Wednesday, and honestly, I wish I was just home. I needed. I need a day. I needed. I needed to relax. But what I'll does your social calendar up. look like on a Saturday? Today? Yeah. Tonight I'm going to a concert. I'm going to see uh, a newfound glory with Yellow Cat S by Theater. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. And uh, tomorrow I'll probably head out to the stadium early because I want to watch the Jets game in its entirety and not be listening on the radio. So I'll probably be at MetLife Stadium from about 12.30, 12.15, till about 7 o'clock at night, get home around 8.45, 9 o'clock, and then... Uh, How's the press box the work meal? Start they, they feed you well there at MetLife for the Giants? Yeah, games? they feed you well. Yeah, they got a full platter. Um, the 4F25 games are more of a dinner-type platter, and then um, there's a halftime snack as well, plus your assorted arrays of fruits and cookies and everything like that. I think we need to charge you with a, a test. So for 2016, we have to do some cleaning up of the podcast. We need to get some new guests. Any chance while you're spending eight hours there at MetLife that you can go and get us some new football guests for, uh, you know, after yeah, this mess run? Can, we'll get... No, I could do that. I know. I know you you're telling me about you, the promos. You're the good guy. The promos you're the good guy. People come on this to see, talk to you. Nobody, I'm just like, you know, collateral damage over here, you know, mm. when it comes down. Um, I'll see. I'll see what I can do. I'll see if I can lock up someone for a future a future week as we go along here. Do you want to uh, – this is pretty interesting. I know it's, you know, we're talking football, but this popped up here. You want to see – you want to hear what the Mets lineup was two years ago, the last time they played the Royals when the Royals came into City Field. I think it was like – uh, can, I, can I guess? And I haven't seen that, no, so we maybe don't. I can – No, no, let me, let me oh, see if I can kind of – All right, All right, so this is 2013. And what 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 yeah, day August is it? Of 20, August of 2013. August 2013. Early August. All right. Catcher is was a record. 
or Buck? No. John Buck. You're right about that. All right, so John Buck. First base, Ike Davis? Yep. All right. Uh, Murphy at second? Yes. Shortstop? Um, this one you... you Tahada. Not Tahada? No, nah, this one might be a tough one for you to get. Shortstop. Well, third base was right. Right was in the lineup, or was he out? Was he was already hurt. I think he, he pulled hurt. his hamstring that week. I think he pulled his hamstring that weekend, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe a couple of days earlier. I don't know who's the short. Who's the left side of the infield? Third base was Josh Satin. Ooh. And shortstop was Omar Quintanilla. Oh my God. Omar now, Quintanilla. And then I guess outfield, you probably had Marlon Bird still on the team. Yep, right field. And then center and left. Was you and Heiss in the lineup? Yeah, got, actually, one of the both the other two outfielders are still on the team. I'll give you that hint. So Ligaris? Center field. And the other one is still on the team, and it's not new and Heiss. You should know this one. I just gave you a big hint. On the playoff Not on the playoff roster, though, right? He's on the team this year. He's on, he, he was on the team in September. You know, that's all I'm, I'm not going to give you the answer. Come on. Oh, man. Left playing field, left field on the team in September. And if September. I'm not mistaken, he won a game with a home run that weekend. Maybe the same game that David Wright pulled Sam straight. Can, can, you, can you not tell me? Let me just brew about it because this is going to bother me. If all right, brew about it. it. This, I gave you a lot of hints on that one. Give me the break. Um, Let me give, me the, give me the break, and then I'll, I'll give me like and then 30 there's, seconds. Um, then there's uh, Zach Wheeler was the pitcher. Uh, I'll throw you one of the subs, actually. Oh, was Sarah Campbell in left? No, that's not a bad guess, but no, it wasn't. I have too early for Eric Campbell. Okay, I'll wait. Give me, Here's give me the other thing guess. I'm going to I'll, I'll, I'm gonna give you two other things, and I'll, we'll go to break. One of the subs is has been discussed this playoffs. I'm not going to tell you whether he was on the team, but one of the subs on the team was discussed this playoffs. And the left fielder was on the Mets roster this September. So, anyway, let's take a break. When we come back, I know we'll get Mojo up. We'll do the picks. Uh, we'll round it out. We'll talk some football. We'll get, you know, any last-minute World Series dialogue going. And if you do want to give us a call, the number is 646-716-8187. Of course, you can listen to the show live on replay at weekendwatchdogs.com, iTunes. Check us out on Facebook at the Weekend Watchdogs Facebook page. And send us a tweet at Mike Silva Media or at jbono611. We'll be right back. A disagreement between the weekend watchdogs starts with a growl. Money does not matter to them. It doesn't matter if these guys have diminished returns at the end of the contract. They will spend more. Yeah, but you can't build a 25-man roster with the way that the the salaries are going. Leads to a bark. So the New York Yankees are going to go out and sign and make Do a big more. Play. They did. They're, they're, they're extreme. Done. And they're not go. done this offseason. And ends with a bite. They can't implement or supplement anybody. Last year's a perfect example. with their dollars. You just can't build a team like that. They are building a team like no, that. No, they're going to fall short because they're not going to be able to fill their second base spot, their third base spot. Tune in to the Weekend Watchdogs, Saturday, 10 to noon on Blog Talk Radio. We're back. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Every Saturday between 10 and noon, Mike Silva and Joe Bono bring you the Weekend Sports with a New York slant. 
a one-stop shop of quality commentary, hard-hitting debates, intelligent guests, and entertaining pop culture references. Go to WeekendWatchdogs.com for an archive of the latest shows, iTunes subscription, and to contact the show. It's Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Don't miss it. All right, we're back. A little jump the gun there. Mike Silva, Joe Bono, Weekend Watchdogs. So before we get to Mojo, uh, Joe, do some picks and wrap up the show. You uh, want to give one last stab before I, uh, I give you the answer? I have you bro- you're break- you're breaking your your microphone has been terrible today. You're breaking up. Can you still hear me on that one? Are you? I Eric Young Jr. Oh. And here were the subs. The subs were Mike Baxter, he of the Johan Santana saving the hitter fame, Andrew Brown, who I believe started opening day the first home year. run. Home run, three run yep. homer. Justin Turner was one of the other subs. Probably the, one of the better hitters in that lineup now, if you look back. And here was the bullpen. Gonzalez German, Scott Rice, Carlos Torres, and LaTroy Hawkins. No juries familiar. Who just retired. Just retired. Well, joining us from his his humble abode down in uh, North Carolina, covering high school football, covering, uh, uh, you know, just came to New York, watched Game 3 with me. I'm sure he's ready to go for Jets-Pats, ready to go for the World Series. It's our buddy Jim Mojo Morrison. Mojo, you're on with Mike and Joe. How you doing? Good morning, gentlemen. God, what a magical week this has been. Uh, it's just really, really special if you're a New York Mets fan. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed my time up there, Mike. Uh, experiencing, you know, someone said to me when I just I got back into Charlotte uh, yesterday uh, afternoon, I had a high school game last night, which actually wound up being a, a classic game uh, for me to, to call and to write about. But, you know, they said, how was it up there? And I said, you know, I think I appreciate this Mets uh, win and the whole magic of it by being there uh, in you know, Momo's with you and, and our friend uh, Paul Ercolino the other night and Richie and all the people, it, just experiencing it with the people up there in New York. It, it was really special uh, this week. And then now we got football. We got a big game. I, I was you know texting Ian Eagle uh, on the Thursday, and we were just talking about the upcoming Jets game this week. And I said, how special of a week would this be? The Mets go into the World Series and the Jets uh, winning and uh, going into first place on Sunday by beating, you know, for a share of first place, uh, the New England Patriots up in Foxborough. Boy, times will be of changing uh, if that could happen. Uh, and and I, I think there's a good opportunity and a, a possibility that it, that it may happen tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, that was fun. Momos was fun. We got we uh, we had a nice little uh, – it, it felt like um, – not like City Field, but you got the feel of, you know, the, the bar was packed. Um, everybody was into it. We all got angry with the with the Ivy uh, play. Um, so yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. And Mojo, how did, did you watch the clincher from home? What did you do? How, how did you uh, celebrate the clinching game? Believe it or not, I shared that night with my mom. Uh, you know, I was in New York, and my mom uh, 
not she's a baseball person that has schlepped uh, you know two two of her four sons religiously to baseball games uh, throughout the course of our lives. And uh, I was doing some stuff with her that day, and uh, she and I ordered some Italian food into the house, uh, sat there, watched the games. As you know, Mike, my phone blows up back and forth with texting and stuff. So I just uh, bunkered down with my mom, watched the game, and enjoyed it uh, with her, and it, it was fun. Uh, I had I had a good time. It shared that special moment uh, with her, and uh, you know we talked about all the times we used to go to Shea with my dad because he used to work there, and you know as I told those stories many times. So it was it was kind of a, a special uh, uh, night there, you know, sharing it with my mom like that. A quiet night, but a, a special night because with social you know media and stuff, you get a chance to uh, connect with people anyway. Yeah, I'm conflicted too on how I want to watch these games because. I mean, let's be honest, whether it be football or even baseball, you get a better feel for everything that's happening when you're at home watching the game on TV. It's just, it's just the way it is right now. Um, but at the same time, watching the people at McFadden's or like the party atmosphere, I'm torn on whether or not I want to experience that at some point during the series or if I'm just better off like the way, I, the way I watched the Giants Super Bowls, which was you know with my brother, with my dad, with my uncle, just together watching the game and celebrating with them uh, after wins. So I don't know. Well, you I know, know Joe, myself, I related I know to your, your your post, Joe. I related to your post, uh, you know, during the Dodgers when you and your brother were there. You know, my brother and I were in Jay Stadium the night that the Mets last won the pennant back in 2000. You know, I remember Benny Agbayani coming around and high fiving us because we were in the front. We had front row season tickets at the time, uh, right behind the ball boy, and he jumped up, did like a mini Lambo leap on it and stuff. And I experienced that with my youngest brother, who's also a big diehard Mets fan. Uh, baseball person. So I kind of related to your, your little video that you posted because, you know, baseball <laughs> is more than a game. It's kind of like family and it transcends generations. Ian Eagle and I were talking. He was a freshman when the Mets last won the World Series in 86. Now his son is a freshman yeah. at Syracuse this year. And the whole symmetry for that family, and they were back and forth. So there's just so much that connects generations and families. Mike, you and your brother are big baseball guys. It, it, it's just what makes baseball baseball a unique sport and, and, and a special sport. As, as much as football has captured America and taken over the national scene, I think a lot of it has to do with the gambling aspect, with fantasy and stuff. Baseball still it, it has a special place in the hearts of a lot of American people. And we have, uh, you know, Joe and I were talking about this earlier, Mojo. I feel like, and I have the Jets as my love, just because I thought the eight-point line uh, was a little bit large uh, for how the Jets are playing. I think if they do lose, it's going to be a close game. The Pats are looking tough. Uh, you know, you've said you were down at Patriots training camp. They're on a mission. This is a test game. Yes, the Jets won uh, in Indianapolis. We know the, the, the that's an accomplishment. You know, Andrew Luck is still the quarterback. Bad shoulder, bad offensive line, you know, bad team notwithstanding. But this is the test game. You hear a lot of talk, you know, Manish Mehta of the Daily News said that, you know, this team may start to remind you of the, the 98 playoff team that Parcells brought to the AFC Championship. We might be jumping the gun on that, but this is the first test week for the Jets. And uh, like, like Joe said, a little bit different than what we're used to in terms of Sheldon Richardson's comments notwithstanding, which I think was blown out of proportion, uh, a little bit different way of preparing for the Patriots than we've seen the last five, six years. 
Mike, for the purpose of the contest, I won't take the Jets, but that was one of my picks too. I actually have locked them in on the money line uh, as well uh, with you know with uh, this week's uh, selections uh, that I've already done. Uh, I, I think the Jets are going to sh- surprise a lot of people. Uh, the Patriots are good, and I respect the Patriots. I respect the process of them being the champions uh, in the AFC and, and overall in the NFL. But this is a different Jet team. I, I've made the statement. You know, you get killed by the Rex and the Genoites and everything else for making these statements. But this team is run by big boys now. They're run by professionals. McCagney, if you read the article in Sports Illustrated this week, I had a chance to read it on the plane ride back. I mean, the way this team was assembled, the plan that was put into place, these guys are run by a professional operation now. I mean, meaning the New York Jets. I just think that the Patriots haven't faced anything like the Jets' defense. I mean, this defense is yielding the fewest points allowed in the National Football League. Half times, which is something that was the Jets were always outmatched the past six years. They're outscoring teams at 34 to nothing in the third quarter. They haven't allowed a point in the third quarter. You know, last week they struggled a little bit with the turnovers in the first half, and you said, oh, boy, there we go again. Bowles just went in there, made the adjustments uh, with the defense. They, they did what they had to do. They came out focused in the second half, and, and they took it to a, you know, undermanned Redskins team. I think that this team has the ability to run the football with Ivory. The line is playing well. They're keeping Fitzpatrick on his feet. You've got two legit targets to throw the ball to. Uh, I just think that the whole key to the game is Fitzpatrick just holds on to the football and doesn't give away any type of uh, cheap scores to the Patriots, that the Jets' defense, they'll slug it out. And I think they find a way to get this thing done this week. Uh, If not, it's going to be a real uh, close game. This is a different Jets team, a different culture. Uh, I I like the team's chances uh, this week uh, going up there. I mean, I may be totally off, but I don't usually say these things about the New York Jets. You know me. I'm a very cautious uh, person when it comes to Jet football. But I think that this team really has a legit chance to win this game tomorrow. I am 10-6-2. I had another tie this week. Uh, on the picks, you guys are both yeah, he's seven and eight. Us, you, he is spanking us. I'm, we are I'm both taking it badly nine. here. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> you are. I'm nine. I'm nine and nine after two and yeah, one. Yeah, so am I. I'm nine and nine, four and two. But I'm saying Mike is kind of slowly striking. going away. I mean, that's you know he's got a nice lead on us going in. <laughs> uh, I'll kick it off. Uh, I love the Jets. Uh, you know, a lot of this has to do with the line. You know, it's an eight-point line right now. Jets at New England. I think it's going to be a close game. I think the Jets are going to lose. I think that this is going to be a game that will come down to the wire. Uh, the Pats are probably not going to want to give up their stranglehold of the uh, of the AFC East, but the Jets will make a statement and lose a close game, maybe by a field goal. So I'll take the Jets and the eight points is my love. I like the Carolina Panthers at home against the Eagles. The Eagles are a bit of a conundrum because their quarterback has talent, but he doesn't always play well. One week they're you know almost blowing a lead to the Jets. The next week they're spanking the Giants. You know Carolina is a three point favorite. I'm picking the Panthers because. They're at home. I don't think that crowd and Cam Newton are going to allow the, the Eagles to come in and beat them. So I like Carolina, who is a three-point favorite over the Eagles. And my luck, I'm going to pick the football, New York football Giants. And why do I pick luck? Because I don't know, and I know Joe gets mad when I say this, I don't know what to expect. I think Matt Castle stinks. The Cowboys don't have Tony Romo. Uh, but the Giants could very easily uh, find themselves down just like they were to the 49ers uh, in this game. And like Joe said, you've seen guys like Jeff Garcia or John Kitnick come in as Cowboys quarterbacks and beat the Giants. So I'm going to take the Giants, who are a three-and-a-half-point favorite, as my luck and continue my dominance of our weekly NFL picks. Joe, why don't you go? 
All right, two and one last week. Uh, hoping for a comeback on this Mike Silva lead here. I guess three full game lead right now on the rest of the field. Um, I like the Atlanta Falcons, five and one, going to the one and four Tennessee Titans. Titans can't protect the quarterback. Twenty sacks in the last five games, and that was with a mobile Mariota at quarterback. He, of course, is out. Zach Matten, Zach Mettenberger will be. Mettenberger will be uh, behind center for them. Uh, the Titans do not play well at home. Uh, they have an eight-game home losing streak, and obviously Devontae Freeman has been great. I think a bounce-back week for the Falcons after losing last Thursday night um, on the road in the division against the Saints, so I like the Falcons uh, minus four. Um, I love the Miami Dolphins here, two and three, hosting the Houston Texans. I like the way they came out. They were feisty. Dan Campbell didn't have a perfect game, but I really felt that 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 coaching change, as odd as it is in the NFL, that really, really helped this team. I think if they could hold um, Hopkins in check uh, for the for the Texans and the, the amazing run he's on from a wide receiver standpoint, despite having Brian Hoyer throw him the quarterback, I think the Dolphins do a good job here. J.J. Watt's been very quiet this year, so I think they protect Tannehill, and I think the Dolphins win for the second week in a row. So I like the Dolphins minus four. And then my luck pick is the Jacksonville Jaguars on a game I'm sure all of us will be streaming at 9.30 in the morning on Yahoo um, in London against the 3-3 three and three Bills. I know Jacksonville's been bad, but listen, Bright Bortles is on pace at 5,000 yards fantasy. and 40 touchdowns, uh, which was fa- on my fantasy, on my fantasy instead fantasy. of uh, Peyton Manning, who I like to cut this week. So I'll take the Jaguars as my luck pick, uh, getting six from the Bills in London. All right. All right. I like the Jets, but for uh, for this contest sake, I'll leave that off. I'll give you three other games. I'm going to go with uh, my lucky uh, pick of the week. I said I wouldn't go back to them, but look at the line. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs are a favorite against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers with the uh, Landry Jones quarterbacking uh, came back and won last week. They are the darlings of the National Football League uh, this week based on last week's win. Uh, they're going into Kansas City, who usually plays tough at home. Uh, the Chiefs are a favorite in this game, so I'm going to bite and take a shot that that's going to be a, uh, a lucky win for the Kansas City Chiefs somehow, someway at Arrowhead Stadium. Uh, my light pick, I'm going to go to the uh, St. Louis Rams. Uh, Rams playing the Browns. Uh, Browns uh, having all sorts of uh, problems stopping the running game. Uh, Todd Gurley, he, uh, I think this is his coming out party uh, at home. Rams got the tough defense, so I'm going to take uh, the St. Louis Rams, lay six points uh, in that game against the Cleveland Browns. And then my love pick, which I'm 4-2 on, despite my mediocrity overall, I'm going to take the uh, Colts to bounce back after that embarrassing loss uh, to the uh, Patriots last week on Sunday night. Uh, if there's a more overrated coach than Rex Ryan in the National Football League, it's his twin, Rob Ryan. How that guy continues to get jobs, I really don't know. Uh, the, the Saints do not travel very well. They're going on the road, uh, placing the Colts team. I'm going to take the Colts, uh, lay the four points as my love pick uh, this week. All right. And we got it in with the music, so look at that. Mojo, what's your World Series pick? I got Mets in six. I'll get yours, and then we'll wrap up with Joe's. Um, I had Royals and Mets uh, uh, for the uh, matchup. I hit them both and cashed them. I I think that 
somehow, the, I mean, this is a tougher matchup for the Mets. I, I, I picked the Mets in, uh, in six as well. Um, I think that the Mets have better starting pitching uh, than the Kansas City Royals, and that's where they're going to have to win the game. I think Terry's going to need to have to figure out there's no need to rest guys. There's no need to worry about innings and all that stuff. Pitch these guys seven. You know, you, you know, obviously, if they're in trouble, you take them out. But try to look for seven-plus innings from these starting pitchers uh, in these games, and they will have have a chance to win every one. Uh, the bullpen is obviously a big uh, advantage for the Kansas City Royals and the Royals' ability to manufacture runs. You saw the Blue Jays, why I didn't like them. I said at the beginning of the playoffs, teams that rely on a lot of thump and power tend not to sustain it in the postseason over the car- cost of a month. And you saw what happened to Toronto. They just couldn't get those big hits with men on base and their inability to play small ball, particularly in the ninth inning uh, last night, is the reason why they went home. And the Mets and the Royals do that. I think the Mets just have a little bit better starting pitching. So I'll take them in, in six games. And uh, hopefully uh, I will be making a trip back, Mike and Joe, and uh, we will go to the Canyons of Heroes together, gentlemen, and get a chance to experience something that we never thought we would do in 2015. And that's a victory parade by the New York Mets. All right. Uh, Mets well, and seven, you, Mike. Mets and seven. Uh, probably a year will be my life at the end of uh, – this week into early November. I don't know what will be left of me come football season and Thanksgiving, but uh, hopefully it'll be well worth it. You might have to take a week off for the show. That possible. <laughs> I've done it before. A hand wave. Hand wave November after the World Series. All right, I want to thank Seth Everett. Uh, check him out on Twitter, at Seth underscore Everett. You can check him out on his social media podcast, as well as NBC Sports Radio. Of course, I want to thank Mojo. Uh, send us a tweet, at Mike Silva Media, at jbono 611 Listen to the show live on replay, at theweekendwatchdogs.com, or go to iTunes, or go to our Weekend Watchdogs Facebook page. Joe, enjoy the World Series. Thanks a lot. We'll see all you guys next week. Take care.